2: Hello and welcome to you. Hey, what's the grossest phrase you've heard used
3: all week? Vaseline hair tonic serves a twofold purpose in the care of your hair. Used before your shampoo, it lubricates the scalp and softens the accumulation of surface dirt and dandruff scales. Dandruff scales? Shampoo your hair with any mild soap. When it is dry, a little Vaseline hair tonic can be brushed onto the hair to smooth it into place so you present a well-groomed appearance. Anybody can use Vaseline hair tonic to advantage. It is colorless and suitable for use on blonde or white hair. Screw you, brunettes. It is so soothing and non-irritating to the scalp that it can be used freely on a baby's scalp, sterilized in the process of manufacture and packed in sterilized containers. It is so inexpensive... Any family can afford to use it.
2: Yeah, so long as they're all blonde. Very popular in Scandinavian countries and 1940s Germany. Anyway, on with today. Quite a bumper show, two movies to tell you about, and two quite wonderful radio outings for you. Light-hearted is the name of the game here on Attaboy Clarence, so I have a comedy for you and also a swashbuckler with a twist. Find out more later, but for now, I
4: defy
2: you not to bop along to Dean Martin.
4: Everybody loves somebody sometime Everybody falls in love somehow Something in your kiss just told me My sometime is now Everybody find somebody someplace There's no telling where love may appear Something in my heart keeps saying find someplace is here If I had it in my power I'd arrange for every girl to have your charm Then every minute, every hour Every boy would find what I found in your heart Everybody lost somebody sometimes And although my dream was Your love made it well worth waiting For someone like you If I had it in my power I would arrange for every girl to have your charm boy would find what I found in your arms. everybody loves somebody sometimes, and although my dream was overdue, your love made it well worth waiting for someone.
2: That was Dean Martin with Everybody Loves Somebody. The Lubitsch Touch, then. What was it about the films of Ernst Lubitsch that transcended their genre to become so completely and utterly his? From The Shop Around the Corner to Trouble in Paradise, from Design for Living to Ninochka, from To Be or Not to Be to Heaven Can Wait, something rather more refined, more daring, more unexpected, and certainly funnier than any other brand of cinema... The author, Scott Amon, described the Lubitsch touch by saying that to the unsophisticated eye, Lubitsch's work can appear dated simply because his characters belong to a world of formal sexual protocol. But his approach to film, to comedy and to life was not so much ahead of its time as it was singular and totally out of any time. Lubitsch died in 1947, and at his funeral, the great William Wyler, leaving the service, said to fellow director and mourner Billy Wilder, no more Lubitsch. Wilder glanced back at Wyler and replied, worse than that, no more Lubitsch pictures. Because something so completely golden age was lost when Lubitsch departed, something that not just represents the qualities we all find so appealing about that period, but also so quintessentially unrepeatable. For myself, I've always loved the way his characters talk. They often begin a sentence and you think you know where it's going, only for them to take your breath away with some clever wordplay or insult. Case in point, 1946's Clooney Brown. A bittersweet film in many ways, as it was the final film that Ernst Lubitsch completed before his untimely death. This is a film that ticks all of my boxes and more. Firstly, the cast is simply sensational. Secondly, it's a satire on class. And thirdly, it mercilessly mocks British people. Often when you watch films from Hollywood in this era, us here in the UK feel a little detached from the stories. However, this is one for us. This lampoons us perfectly... At every turn. Crucially, never in a cruel way. It's just that it manages to point out so many of our hilarious character traits as a nation and throws them all up there onto the screen. Starring Charles Boyer, Jennifer Jones, Peter Lawford, Helen Walker, Reginald Gardner, Reginald Owen, C. Aubrey Smith, Richard Hayden, Sarah Allgood, Billy Bevan, you know Connor. I mean, there's another half a cast here, but to save you some time, here's a clip.
3: No, 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 my dear chap. Sink. Sink. S-I-N-K. Sink. No, 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 not stink. Look here,
5: what I'm trying to tell you is it won't drain. Yes, that's it, and I've got 50 people popping over for cocktails. (sighs) Have you ever tried to get hold of a plumber in London on a Sunday afternoon? I've called dozens of them and the blighters are either at the films or walking in the park. Uh, Hang it all, if plumbing is going to make a go of it in this country, the plumber's jolly well better get into the spirit of the thing. Well, it's just the ghost of a chance. One chap half promised to be over, but that's more than an hour ago, so there you are. But look here, I can't just call up 50 guests. I can't call up such people as the Honourable Betty Cream and tell her my sink's out of order.
2: Clooney Brown, played by Jennifer Jones, is a plucky young wannabe plumber living in London. Yes, really, bear with me. Who one fine Sunday decides to take one of her plumber uncle's call-outs and winds up meeting the dashing but always broke, Professor Adam Belinsky, played by Boyer. After a whirlwind meeting and a few cocktails, Clooney finds herself squiffy. Rotten timing, really, as that's the moment her guardian uncle, played by Billy Bevan, arrives to take her
0: home. Uncle Arne, who's going to mend your socks? Sister Addie? Who's going to answer the
6: telephone?
7: I'll manage it myself when I'm here and let it ring when I ain't. Now everything's settled, lass.
0: Who are you going to talk to when you've got something on your mind?
7: I'll just let it stay there.
0: Uncle Ann, why do I have to go?
7: It's better. You're very lucky. An untrained girl like you getting took on as a parlor maid in a nice house in the country.
0: If I don't like it, can I come back?
7: Not if you just don't like it.
0: Well, what if I hate it?
7: It's not your place to wait, Clooney Brown.
0: What if I don't get enough to eat?
7: They'll feed you.
0: What if they feed me scraps? Starve me down to the bone till I look like a skeleton. Then can I come back, Uncle Arn?
7: That's all in your head, lass.
0: What if they knock me about? They won't. But What if they do?
7: Well, then send me a line, but be sure they do.
2: Her uncle is thoroughly ashamed of her behaviour and demands that she take a job in service for the wealthy country landowners, the Carmels. While working for them as a parlour maid, she meets the ultra-respectable Jonathan Wilson, a local chemist played by Richard Hayden and his domineering mother, played by Una O'Connor. Feeling that perhaps this is where she's supposed to be, Clooney accepts a proposal of marriage from Wilson and tries her best to settle into a conservative kind of life. It's then that Belinsky turns back up as one of the Carmel's house guests.
8: I'd like a word with you, Mr. Wilson. I'm at your disposal, sir. I presume that you have weighed your intentions toward Miss Brown as carefully
9: as you weigh the contents of a pill. I assure you, sir, I am not the sort of man who would invite a young lady for tea, merely to while away an afternoon. Well,
8: I must admit I was worried about Clooney, but you have relieved my fears. Mr. Wilson, you couldn't have prescribed a better sedative than yourself.
10: Oh,
9: thank you, sir.
2: Now, I know that this synopsis makes it sound frightfully confusing and complicated. It really isn't. It's just that there's so much story in this thing. And I don't really want to spoil all of the delightful side characters and side plots and in-jokes. There's a marvellous one based around the bell in the stuffy Mr. Wilson's shop. It's absolutely hilarious and perfectly executed. But to describe it here would just make you think, meh. And that's kind of the problem with giving too much away about the film in general. I can't do it justice. I can't possibly tell you about the wit of Ernst Lubitsch and make it as appealing as it is to simply see it for yourself. Clooney Brown came last in his output. You can't really count Lady and Ermin as he only made half the thing before he died. My point is that you may be thinking that because it came late, it might be a lesser Lubitsch. I can assure you that this is Lubitsch firing on every cylinder. The script is a masterpiece, the direction is breathtaking, the cast are stunning. The jokes don't just land with a bang, but a whiz-bang. Crucially, the humour totally translates to modern sensibilities too. Doesn't matter what you think of old movies, you will find this movie hilarious. It also oozes charm. Every shot is a picture postcard. It's thankfully light on villainy too which is a really refreshing factor these days. I need light and airy and funny and wonderful right now. The world's in enough of a pickle, I think, thanks to the motivations of not nice people. And so when I walk into a movie with my fingers crossed, it's a true relief to come out of the other end with my heart uplifted and harbouring no disappointment with anyone. That's the magic of classic cinema. Some see the charm of it as unthreatening. I see it as a blessing. Clooney Brown is 100 minutes of unadulterated joy. Next up, what do the following things have in common? Fish and chips, ice cream and soda, bangers and mash, Gwyneth Paltrow and candles that smell like underwear. All of these things are things we cannot imagine being separated from each other. They are pairings that were simply meant to be. And to that hallowed list, we must surely add John Loder and cinematic masterpieces. He's the man whose appearances take a film from a 5 star experience to a six star experience look at the evidence, the Brighton Strangler, the Mysterious Doctor the Gorilla Man I mean I think I've proved my point already but we come to today's romp, 1946 is the wife of Monte Cristo, yes you heard me we've had the Count of Monte Cristo, we've had the son of Monte Cristo, now meet the wife of Monte Cristo.
11: The wagons will soon be in Paris, That is if the Avenger doesn't strike again tonight. De Vivo, for for we see pillaged us, robbed us at will, cost us hundreds of thousands of francs. The people of Paris call him the Avenger and look to him as their savior. I tell you, De Vivo, we must find out who this masked bandit is or we are ruined. You show too much impatience, Danglars. Sometimes these matters must be handled with delicacy. Delicacy? This is no time for delicacy.
2: Imagine a world in which the Count of Monte Cristo arrives back after his years in the Chateau d'If, all ready to take his revenge, but before he can, he's thrown back into hiding. Well, imagine no more, because that's the situation we have here. Yes, perennially banged-up Edmond Dantes, played here by Martin Kosleck, comes on home to take his revenge against the nefarious bad guys who locked him away all those years ago. Along the way, he's picked himself up a bride, the lovely Hedy, played by Lenore Aubert, who, as it turns out, is a bit tasty with a sword.
12: How many times master tell you? On the advance, you lead with your point, not with your nose.
9: Madame la Comtesse will soon be as expert as the best swordsman in
12: France. Make sure not to instruct her too well, madam.
2: I wish to remain master in my own house. Bafflingly, Edmund chooses to take his revenge on Danglars, Maillard and de Villefort by transforming into Zorro. Stay with me now. Yes, Edmund dons a cape and mask and rides out under the guise of the Avenger. Basically a ripoff of Zorro. He's out there busy sowing descent in the community and sword fighting everyone and all that while also robbing the rich to feed the poor, you know but he gets wounded and so he has to lock himself away to heal. Bad move, Dantes. If you suddenly disappear from the social scene at the same time as the Avenger, then De Villefort, played with rollicking relish by John Loder, will know that you are one and the same. There's only one thing to do. we will have to don the mask and cape and sword and pretend to be the Avenger herself in order to throw De Villefort off the scent. Countess.
13: Yes, today I was the Avenger
2: would
8: rather have lost my life than risked a hair of your head.
13: I appreciate your gratitude, Antoine, but much was at stake.
8: But, Thomas, I do not understand. Did the Count plan in this way?
13: No, my husband knows nothing about this.
8: I'm more confused than ever.
13: I regret your confusion, Baptiste, but I hope my action has the same effect on the prefect of police. The police are closely watching the Count at the hunting lodge, and a man cannot be in two places at one time.
7: Very clever, Madame. Excellent.
2: What a cracking idea for a film. I mean, never mind that they basically just make The Count of Monte Cristo but then completely change the second half of the story. It's all good. Lovely to see a lady getting to play the action hero for once in these films and Lenore Aubert can certainly buckle a swash, let me tell you. In fact, the casting here is by far the most interesting thing. It's like the producers have chosen to subvert your expectations at every single juncture. Lenore Aubert is your swashbuckler. Martin Kosleck, who plays nothing but snide villains, here gets to be the main man love interest. Eduardo Cinelli, another one of those typecast villains, here plays a burly hero. And John Loder, get this, he gets to use two facial expressions in this film, which stunned me. I've never seen his face move once before, but I rewound the film and checked, and yes, I can assure you that at one point he raises an eyebrow now in John Loder terms this is a monumental moment just remember if this ever comes up in a pub trivia quiz which was the movie in which John Loder used more than one facial expression the answer is The Wife of Monte Cristo from 1946 when I read the brief on this film I couldn't wait to put it into my vein also have to admit that while this does have its fun moments it kind of doesn't live up to the gleeful promise that all of these ingredients suggest the stars are great but the material is quite pedestrian. It starts with a bang, but it does meander in Act 2. If they'd have stuck to straight action and chopped out 15 minutes of his 83-minute runtime, this would be a classic. It surprises me, actually, as this is directed by one of my B-movie heroes, Edgar Ulmer, who always seems to have a tight grip on his productions. This is a bit undisciplined, and it suffers from far too many dull conversation scenes. That said, it is a fascinating experiment in subversion. Kozlek as a hero, Cinelli as a hero, Lenore Ober playing Zorro, John Loder raising an eyebrow. It goes against every Hollywood rule. It even has an ending that suggests a potential sequel. I love a B-movie, and I especially enjoy a trashy B-movie. This is a trashy B-movie with delusions of grandeur. And I love it for that. That's The Wife of Monte Cristo from 1946. And for anyone who's a patron of these shows, The Wife of Monte Cristo and Clooney Brown are both in my classic movie library right now. Now, for your radio entertainment today, a double bill. First up, we're going over to the Screen Directors Playhouse for their version of Clooney Brown, starring Charles Boyer against Dorothy McGuire, which is wonderful. And then, well, I can never pass up the opportunity for more John Loder, so I thought I'd play a rather curious turn from him. In 1952, he took to the radio stage in New York alongside Mildred Natwick to play Charles Condamine in a sparkling adaptation of Noel Coward classic Blythe Spirit. And all joking aside, this is probably the closest to an acting performance we'll ever get from him. I kid, of course. I adore John Loder, and this is really quite special from him. So firstly, a helping of the Lubitsch touch with Clooney Brown. And then John Loder takes the lead in Noel Coward's Blithe Spirit. A double bill of classic treats for you then, and
3: I will see you afterwards. This is the Screen Director's Playhouse, the Thursday night feature on NBC's five-show festival of comedy, music, mystery, and drama. Brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio... First in recorded music, first in television. The makers of Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by your local Ford dealer, who is displaying the new 1951 Ford, the car that's built for the years ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, before we present Clooney Brown, here's a word from RCA Victor. For my money, the most amazing creatures on Earth today are ten-year-olds with television sets at their command. Presumably, while lying in wait for their favorite desperados, they casually become authorities on what bills are now before Congress, who won the Nobel Prizes, where the U.N. forces are today, and precisely what the electron finds so attractive in the proton. Oh, let's face it. The television child at 10 knows more about how the world wags than his father knew at 20. Seriously, it's mighty important to give your children the incomparable advantage of education by television. Not just someday, but now. Naturally, you'll want the incomparable set. America's favorite, already proven in over a million homes, an RCA Victor. See your RCA Victor dealer tomorrow and choose from 18 beautiful new million-proof models the RCA Victor masterpiece which will be not only the greatest amusement center any man ever knew, but the greatest classroom any man's children ever attended. Now for the first act of Clooney Brown. But may I add that at the end of the program, there will be an announcement of importance to Hollywood and to motion picture audiences everywhere. Here now is Clooney Brown, starring Charles Boyer in his original role, and Dorothy McGuire as Clooney. Uh,
7: Hello. Is this Mr. Porritt? The plumber. Oh, I beg your pardon, is Mr. Porritt there? Yes, I know, it's Sunday. My dear young lady, it's Sunday for me, too. I like to rest on Sundays. Everybody likes to rest on Sundays. But it's the sink. It won't drain. And I've got 30 people coming for cocktails. No, no, I don't plan to serve them in the sink. But I'd like to have a glass washed when the party is over look, I've tried every plumber in London. One of them promised to come right over. That was two hours ago. But look here, I can't call up thirty guests and tell them my sink stinks. I certainly can't. I certainly can't, and I don't have to. Run along, miss. Have a nice punt on the Thames. The plumber's at the door now. Congratulate me. So long. Uh, Come in. Come in. Never been so happy to see anyone in my whole life. Uh, right this way. Oh, thank you. Uh, I hate to spoil your Sunday like this, but with me, well, it's sink or swim. Uh, come along. <laughs> thank you. Well, there it is. Eh? Huh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it is.
8: Interesting. Very interesting. It is. Could there be anything more fascinating than a sink out of order?
7: No, well, no, I've never thought of it in quite that
8: way. In ordinary. Everyday, commonplace kitchen sink. And yet, the height of human frustration. Look at it. Look at it without prejudice, my dear sir. You start the day with an infinite capacity for living. Then, somewhere along the line, your social and personal plumbing goes wrong. And the best of you ends in the sink. The best of your youth, the best of your hopes, the best of your efforts. Pure waste. An ocean of defeated of humanity. Well, believe me, I know a lot about sinks.
7: Well, I should hope so. I...
8: And your guests are arriving any minute. Right. Oh. And you want your sink fixed? Right. Well, then what you need is a plumber. <laughs>
7: right. A what? Aren't you, I mean... Oh,
8: no, I'm not now, no matter what you mean. No, I I came here to see my old friend, uh, Professor Lee.
7: Professor Lee is in Scotland. I've sublet this apartment. Oh, what a mess. Well,
8: I must say, that's a mess for me, too. but what am I going to do? You're the most selfish man I've ever seen. What? Of course you are. Well, you don't even know me. And already you're not interested in me. Why don't you ask me why I want to see Professor Lee? Why don't you ask me about my landlady? Is she humane or does she want a rent? Do you know? Do you care? <laughs> no. Have you even said a fig for my guests, my dear sir? Is there something I can do for you? Is there? Oh, thank heaven I misjudged you. Do you know Professor Lee Ames? Uh, not very well. Ah, magnificent fellow. He would have said, is there anything wrong, Belinsky? And of course I would have said No. Oh, no, nothing? But he would not have believed me. He had the most charming way of forcing 20 pounds on one. Made you feel you were doing him a favor. Remarkable fellow.
7: Obviously. Well, I'm not precisely in the habit of forcing things on people, but... Oh, I...
8: my dear, Ames, this is kind of you. Uh,
7: 20 will be quite enough. No, not at all. Uh, you can stay for cocktails. Oh. Thank the Lord. I I mean, thank the Lord if that isn't a guest. I'm sure that's the plumber. Excuse me. Hello. Hello.
0: Well, shall we have a go at it?
7: Are you sure you have the right apartment?
0: Well, it's the right number. You're Mr. Ames, all right. I could smell you a mile off. You're the gentleman who phoned, all right? Uh, are you a plumber? Oh, no, sir. But I've been around pipes and sewers and faucets and things ever since I came to live with my uncle Arn. Mr. Parrott, that is. You called him. And I talked to you. Yes, sir. But I've watched him work a lot, and he's a good plumber, too. But if you ask me, he's much too conservative.
7: Conservative?
0: Yes, although he votes Labour. But when it comes to pipes, he takes the long road. He fiddles and faddles and he turns a nut, gets a drop here and a drip there, when one good bang might turn the trick in a jiffy. Yes,
7: and might smash the pipe to smithereens too.
0: Now, why don't you let me take a whack at it?
7: Oh, no, you don't. No amateur is going to put my house underwater. Oh, my dear Ames. Where is the gypsy in you?
8: Where is your sense of adventure? Are you the sort of man who puts on his pants before he answers the telephone? What if it does go wrong? What if the whole place gets flooded and there is no party? You save your liquor. Is that bad? But if this girl succeeds...
0: Please do let me try.
6: No, come on, then. It's in
10: here.
0: My, isn't it a beauty? What a congestion. It is stuffed up, isn't it? I never thought it would be as good as this. Oh, I, I can't thank you enough, Mr. Ames.
7: Don't mention it.
0: Well... Enough talk. Let's get to work. Good day, gentlemen. It's been a very pleasant chat. I'll see you when I come up. Here we go. Cool down here. Very nice see you.
7: Oh, what's she doing?
8: Sounds most promising.
0: Have you ever had tea at the Ritz? Eh?
8: <laughs> Did you say tea at the Ritz?
0: Yes, I have. Last Saturday. I was lying in bed sucking oranges to tone up the system, you know. And all at once I said to myself, Clooney Brown, you've got a pound note in your stocking. Why don't you have tea at the Ritz? And so I did. <laughs> That's the way things come over me.
8: What? She sucks oranges. Tones up the system. Was it a good tea? What? I said, was it a good tea?
0: Oh, it wasn't the tea. But to hear them say this way, miss... Please, Miss Crumpets, Miss, and holding my chair for me. You never would have thought for a minute I was out of place. Uh,
8: Miss, uh... Clooney. uh, Clooney, tell me, what made you think you were out of place at the Ritz?
0: I didn't. It was Uncle Arn. He's always and forever telling me, Clooney Brown, you don't know your place. Clooney Brown, you ought to learn your place. And
8: what does Uncle Arn think your place is?
0: He didn't say.
8: Because he doesn't know. Who can tell you where your place is? Where's my place? Where's anybody's place? I'll tell you where it is. Wherever you're happy, that's your place. And happiness is something that only you can identify. You're the sole judge. Now, look, Tony. In Hyde Park, for instance, some people like to feed nuts to the squirrels. But if it makes you happy to feed squirrels to the nuts, who am I to say nuts to the squirrels? <laughs> <laughs> you mind
0: saying that all over again? I
7: say in Hyde hi- Look, you two, I don't like to intrude, but do you realize what time it is?
10: Oh, look at it. Oh, look at a
0: drain. Oh, she's a beautiful thing. You see, my dear
8: Ames, faith moves mountains and sinks. Wonderful. But I think a toast is in order, Mr. Ames. A toast to the new master plumber... And be as good as new sink.
7: Perfect. We'll test the drinks for the guests. Come on, Miss Brown.
0: Oh, what a wonderful day this has been for me. My first sink and my first cocktail. A martini cocktail with an olive. Uh,
8: Have some more. Uh, Should she? Oh, definitely.
0: Oh, yes. Thank you. I feel absolutely lovely. <laughs> I can't quite describe it. I feel, uh, chirrupy.
7: Chirrupy? I
8: don't recall ever feeling chirrupy. I'm afraid you never will, Mr. Ames. I'm sure there isn't a chirrupy in you.
0: <laughs> now, isn't that funny? Now I feel entirely different. I know what it is. It's coming over me. That Persian cat feeling. Oh,
7: uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't mean to be inhospitable, but it's getting late. It's
8: never too late for a cat.
10: You know a cat? <laughs>
0: <laughs> be a cat? Oh, I can tell you. You lie stretched out in bed reading the wonderful travelogue and the Daily Mail, and wanting to go places and wondering if you ever will. And all of a sudden, you're a cat. And you stretch, and you arch your back. And you yawn, and stroke your silky fur, and purr. Oh, it is so wonderful to be a cat, and to read the Daily Mail. I knew
7: it, I knew it. There they are. Uh, Would you mind, Miss Brown? Yes, Uh, what is
0: it? Oh,
7: I feel so wonderful. Clooney Brown, what are you doing here? Oh, come on. What does this mean?
0: What are you doing here on that couch? Well, I've been plumbing, Uncle Arn.
7: There's something happened here I
8: ought to know about?
0: Well, I don't think so. Mm.
8: Lucky I found this address written down or I might never have looked you in the face again. And I assure you, Uncle Arn... Name's Porritt. Mr. Porritt. Mm. Clooney, you got liquor on your breath. Oh. Strong liquor. You don't know your place. You never will know your place. Get you think?
10: But,
0: Uncle Arn, what is my place? What's anybody's place? If you want to feed nuts to the squirrels, who am I to say? do you?
10: That's it.
7: You're going to service. And right now. Come along. Uh, I don't like to bring it up, Mr. Pollard, but I haven't paid your niece. You can't buy me off with a filthy pound note.
0: Keep it. Come on now, Clooney Brown. Goodbye, gentlemen. I've had a very pleasant stop. And thank you for everything. Meow. <laughs>
3: Today, many thousands of people are thankful to their physicians or dentists for first having introduced them to that remarkable preparation called anison, which brings such incredibly fast and effective relief from the pains of headaches, neuritis, and neuralgia. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thus, in using anison, you are following sound principles. So ask for Anison at your drug counter next time you suffer pains from headaches, neuritis, or neuralgia. Try these tablets on this guarantee. If you don't feel Annison gives you all the relief you want, as fast as you want it, your money will be refunded. Easy-to-take Annison tablets are available everywhere in handy boxes of 12 and 30, and economical family size bottles of 50 and 100. I'll repeat the name for you. Annison. A N A C I N. Now back to the second act of the Screen Directors Playhouse production of Clooney Brown, starring Dorothy McGuire and Charles Boyer. <laughs>
8: I stayed for Mr. Ames' cocktail party, at least part of it. But when the noise rose to a tumult and the smoke began to form in clouds, I slipped quietly into a back bedroom and lay down on the bed and dozed off. I don't know how long I'd been sleeping when I heard cautious voices whispering.
7: I thought I heard my name. I tell you, it's Belinsky. Not Adam Belinsky. Yes, Adam Belinsky, the Czech. He's a great man. He's famous. Of course he is. He's a writer. Professor at Prague. No, that's why the Nazis are after him. He's probably just a jump ahead of them right now. I wonder how we got to London. Ooh, the underground, no doubt. <coughs> oh. Oh, hello. Hello. No. Uh, we know who you are. You can trust us. I'm Andrew Carmel. I'm John Fruin. Uh, oh, how do you do? We don't mean to pry, but you are in trouble, aren't you? Hmm? Well,
8: uh, yes. <laughs> As a matter of fact... Unless a miracle happens, I'm a man with other
7: home. Oh, that beast. That terrible beast of a Hitler. But,
8: well, I, I wonder if I've made myself clear. Oh,
7: perfectly. But the time for talk is past. We must do something.
8: I'm afraid you are a little confused.
7: Well, oh, we know how busy you must be, but believe me, we wouldn't interfere. We would just provide you with a safe place to work. Out at Friars Carmel, with my mother and father. Sir Henry and Lady Carmel.
8: Oh well, uh, don't you think you you should know a little more about me? You are very kind, but uh, I think you are being too impulsive. These are impulsive days, Professor. Some day the world will thank us for it. Well, I hope so, Andrew. I shall be happy to come with you. With my deepest gratitude. After all, as you see, my safety is most important to me too. <laughs>
0: told me I was going into domestic service, he wasn't fooling. He found me a job at once, and before I knew what I was doing, I found myself getting instructed on how to be a parlor maid at the home of Lord and Lady Carmel. On my first night, I was sent into the dining room, staggering under a huge silver tray of mutton. Professor,
7: it's a pleasure to have you here.
8: Oh, how very hospitable you are. But I don't feel I should accept before you know more about me.
1: But Andrew has told us all about you.
8: Fine lad, your son, Andrew.
4: Oh, yes, yes. I'm rather
8: fond of him myself. Mm, uh, Sets his horse well. And there is only one thing I can say. This land of such dear souls. This dear, dear land. This blessed plot. This earth. This realm. This England. Well, a toast to Shakespeare.
0: Oh, how
1: charming of you, Professor. And how well you speak English. World right out of him. Oh, you're fascinated Henry, Professor. Uh, come now, take some of the roast, dear.
7: Brown. Brown, the roast.
0: Oh, 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 oh yes. Hmm?
8: Oh, yes. Uh, uh, this is a likely cut.
0: Uh-uh. What? Don't take that piece, sir. This one on the right's much better. What? Well, it hasn't so much fat, and it's browner and bigger. You won't regret it, sir. Oh,
8: really? Oh, all right, all right.
0: Thank you, sir. The roast, sir?
8: Why, thank you.
0: Oh, no. Not you, not you. Nuts to the squirrels.
8: <laughs> Go to the kitchen, Brown. At once, I'm very sorry, milady. Outrageous. It's preposterous. It strikes me absolutely speechless. A maid choosing my mutton for me. She will be dismissed immediately, sir. No, no, no. Uh, One moment, sir, Henry. Uh, you, you took the piece she suggested. May I yes. ask why? Why? Because uh, the other piece had a blob of fat on it. And this one is browner, leaner, and bigger. And you liked it better. But uh, hang it all. It just isn't done. What a pity. It should have been done long ago. Has it occur to you that for generations the lords of Carmel have probably eaten the wrong piece of mutton?
1: Hmm? Oh, that's a very interesting way of looking
8: at it. Well, she needn't to drop the platter and insulted my guest. What did she say to you? Uh, I remember very well, sir. It was, if I may take the liberty of repeating it, nuts to the squirrels. Doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. It should have been squirrels to the nuts. But uh, I have an open mind, and if someone says to me, nuts to the squirrels, I accept it. You may be inclined to say it to me yourself someday when you know me better, and I'm not so sure you'll include the squirrels. Hmm. (laughs) Oh, uh, that's too deep for me, Bolinsky. If I may say so, Your Ladyship, the sooner the young woman is dismissed, the better. Please, please, Monsieur Siret. I know that in the policies of the kitchen. The balance of power rests with you. I also know that as a guardian of English customs and traditions, this young woman has offended your sensibilities. But permit me to quote someone to whom everything English was also dear. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. Well, another toast to Shakespeare.
1: You've made a charming evening for us, Professor. I've never seen my husband more stimulated.
8: Well, he is a very stimulating man himself.
1: Yes, yes, he is. I hope you'll be comfortable. Sorrette will valet you.
8: I'm sorry, but dear Lady Garmel, I have so little to offer a valet. Oh
1: well. Would you mind letting Sirette do it anyway, so as not to hurt his feelings?
8: Oh, oh, very well. I I have this suit and uh, Andrew's dinner jacket, which you have uh, offered to lend me. They are both at Sirette's disposal.
10: Oh,
1: thank you. I hope you sleep well, Professor. Uh, Oh, by the way, there's a nightingale under your window.
8: Oh, you shouldn't have gone to so much trouble. (laughs) Uh,
1: uh, Good night, Professor. Good
8: night, Lady Carmel.
10: It's me, Clooney. Let me in.
8: Oh, Clooney. Oh, I'm so sorry I upset you.
0: How do you do, Mr. Belensky? Oh, y- you shouldn't be here. But for heaven's sake, how did you get
8: here? You fry as of all places. Tell me, what happened?
0: Well, it's it's all Uncle Arn. Oh, Mr. Belensky.
8: Oh, no, no, Clooney. Look at me. I'm here, too. I haven't even got an uncle. And after all, you're... You're at least a maid. I'm only a guest.
0: I don't want to be a maid. I'll go on and on, dropping platters, putting hot water bottles in the cold beds and having Wednesday afternoon off in a village where the cinema opens only at night. But what
8: about me, Clooney? I'm a city man. I like crowds and traffic and lights, smoke in my lungs. What have I got? Big moth, nightingale, right under my window.
10: <laughs> oh,
0: it's so good to talk to someone who's out of place too.
8: Yes, yes, Clooney. Please talk to me at any time. Open your heart to me.
0: Ditto. Oh, oh. oh Mister Polenski. No,
8: no, Clooney. Come into my arms,
0: oh, Mister Polenski. Oh, oh, I didn't mean, oh. Please forgive me, Mr. Belensky. What? I don't know what came over me. No. It isn't as if you were my type. Believe me, you aren't.
8: What? Oh, I'm sure I'm not. <laughs> I understand perfectly. You were just happy to find a friend here. And so am I. We must go on being friends. And as we are not our types, that should be easy.
0: You know, we're just like two people on a desert island waiting for a ship to rescue us.
8: That's right, Clooney, that's right. But, uh... You know how it is on a desert island. You wait and wait. Then you don't wait anymore. Tony <laughs> <laughs> Brown, Let's admit it. We are in danger. Today we are not our types. But, you know, as time passes, we might not look so bad to each other. <laughs> if we are in Friar's Carmel long enough, who knows? You might even find me possible... I might find you the most beautiful creature in the whole county. It's not much of a county, but that's all we have.
0: Oh, Mr. Velensky, this must never happen. You must never become a victim of my circumstances. And if you should ever seem romantic to me, don't hesitate. Just kick me.
8: Yes, that's it. Let's kick each other.
9: It's
0: a pact. Oh, I feel so safe.
8: Good. Well, now I'd better go.
0: Yes, it would be terrible if they heard us. Who? Why, oh, anybody, but especially Mr. Surrett and Mrs. Miley. Thank you for everything. Oh, I feel so good.
8: So do I.
0: I wish I were back in that apartment where we were. Oh, I wish I could roll up my sleeves and roll down my stockings and then loosen the joint. Bang, bang, bang.
8: <laughs> I know how you feel. Well, I'll go to my room now and let the nightingale bring me to sleep. Good night, <laughs> Well, Mrs. Maylie.
1: I agree with you, Mr. Soret.
8: What can one expect? A maid with no references and a foreigner who isn't even in the diplomatic service. Ah.
1: Ah. Good night, Mr. Soret.
8: Good night, Mrs. (laughs) Maylie. me, Tony Brown.
0: Oh, hello, Mr. Volansky.
8: Why, look at you. Violets on your shoulder, (laughs) roses in your cheeks, and a garden on your head. What's the occasion?
0: Well, don't you know?
8: It's your birthday.
0: It's my day off, from three to seven. Oh, of
8: course, perfect, perfect. No wonder I've always loved Wednesday. From three to seven, four hours, all to ourselves. Two hundred and forty minutes. And if you think of it in seconds, I'll cancel all my engagements. In fact, I'll ignore them. Clooney, the village is ours.
0: Well, Mr. Belinsky, it's awfully sweet of you, but I I think I should tell you, something has happened. What? Well, you know Mrs. Marley suffers from rheumatism.
1: You
8: haven't caught it, have you?
0: Oh, no. But you see, if Mrs. Marley hadn't sent me to the chemist shop for pear trees liniment, I, I might never have met Mr. Wilson the chemist. Oh, well, that's the way things happen. Think of it. Mrs. Maylie's swollen knee might change my whole life.
8: Is it that bad, Clooney?
0: Well, I don't know. But what would you think if a gentleman invited you to tea and to meet his mother, too? I wouldn't go. I've already accepted. And I'm certain I did the right thing. Hmm. I'm sure you did. You know, Mr. Wilson's the only chemist round here for miles and miles. Oh, it's so exciting to meet a man who's surrounded by hundreds of bottles. And every one of them, life and death. Mr. Wilson hinted that when we get better acquainted, he'd let me watch him make up a prescription. But this is confidential.
8: Your secret will be buried with me. Well, Clooney, it looks as if your shape has come in. Oh. Hmm. The bottle of beer I was going to offer you... Seems awfully flat beside all those bottles filled with magic. Well, I hope the magic will make you happy, Clooney. Very happy.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow morning your Ford dealer will display the finest Ford ever produced. It's the new 1951 Ford that's built for the years ahead. Your Ford dealer wants you to see this great new car. When you do, you'll find that it offers 43 new look-ahead features. And we call them look-ahead features because, like the car itself, their advantages is designed to give you long-lasting satisfaction. Among them, you'll discover the new automatic ride control that automatically adjusts the ride to the road to give you a level ride, an easy ride. You'll find the automatic mileage maker that saves gas by squeezing the last mile out of every drop. You'll see new luxury lounge interiors with a wide choice of rich Ford Craft upholstery fabrics in harmonizing colors. Visit your Ford dealer tomorrow and check all 43 look-ahead features. And you'll agree that you can pay more, but you can't buy better than the 51 Ford. You are listening to the Screen Director's Playhouse, one of five great radio shows that are brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television, the Whitehall Pharmaceutical Company, makers of Anison, Kalinos, Bicadol, and other fine drug products, and by your local Ford dealer, who is displaying the new 1951 Ford, the car that's built for the years ahead. The Screen Director's Playhouse presentation of Clooney Brown starring Charles Boyer and Dorothy McGuire will continue after a short pause for station identification. Stay tuned to your local station on NBC. for the third act of the Screen Director's Playhouse production of Clooney Brown, starring Charles Boyer and Dorothy McGuire.
8: I stood on the village square looking after Clooney. Her step was light, her very feet were singing a song as she disappeared from the little door of Mr. Wilson's chemist's shop.
5: Now, let's repeat it again, Mrs. Watkins. Uh, Tilt Master Richard's head back and squeeze one drop of the astringent into each nostril three times a day. Will his nose stop running, Mrs. Watkins? It may interest you to know that after the use of one bottle of my nasal bath, the Marquis of Rockermere, a distinguished speaker, was for the first time clearly understood when he addressed the House of Lords last week. The charge will be two shillings per day. Good afternoon, Miss Brown.
0: Good afternoon, Mr. Wilson.
5: Well, Miss Brown, I could uh, relish a crumpet or two. And you? Ditto. Then uh, shall we step into the parlour?
0: Oh, Mr. Wilson, didn't you notice anything?
5: Uh, notice uh, what?
0: Uh, well, the way I look.
5: Well, I remarked about it the last time I saw you. I said you looked intelligent. <laughs>
0: that's not what I mean. I I mean here, the garden on my head.
5: Oh. Well, uh, I don't object to it myself, Miss Brown, but uh, my mother might think it a little frivolous.
0: Oh. Well, then I had better take it off.
5: Thank you. Uh, I hope you understand.
0: Oh, I do. I should have been satisfied to look intelligent.
5: Shall we go? It's right through this door.
0: Oh, what an elegant room. Oh, well,
5: it's not Buckingham Palace, but it's uh, Wilson's little castle. (laughs) You might enjoy looking at this picture, Miss Brown. It's uh, painted by hand.
0: Poor little sheep. It hasn't much future, has it? Just mutton.
5: And where would England be without it? Now, if I were a sheep, I'd be proud to serve the empire. And now, Miss Brown, uh, would you like to know where we are?
0: Uh, oh, Oh, yes, I would.
5: Well, then, let's have a little glance at the map of our valley.
0: Why, just look at that. Are those battle flags?
5: Not exactly, Miss Brown, but a victory nevertheless. This flag marks where I was born. Yes. And this flag here is where we are at this very moment. Oh. And this is where I intend to remain for the rest of my life, in this very house.
0: Oh, you have it all so perfectly planned. But what if the house burns down?
5: I have considered that too. It won't. I've taken every precaution. You may have noticed the lightning rod on the roof. That's Moulton's imperial pinpoint, the very best. And if I should ever be blessed with uh, a little Wilson's, I should expect <coughs> and Mrs. Wilson to keep matches away from them. That isn't asking too much now, is it?
0: Oh, no. I think that's the least Mr. Wilson could expect from Mrs. Wilson.
5: Yes, However, if, in spite of all my provisions, a slight blaze should occur, it may reassure you to know that I am chief of the Friars Carmel Volunteer of Fire Department.
0: Mr. Wilson, your aunt. I oh, am.
5: Yeah.
0: Oh, it would be almost worth a fire to see you in action.
5: Thank you, Miss Brown. Now, uh, I shall call my Mother? 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 <laughs> Mother has been arresting.
0: Yes, indeed.
5: Well, Mother, uh, here is our guest, Miss Brown, my mother.
0: How do you do, Mrs. Wilson?
5: Well, I have tea already, Mother. Will you pour for us? (laughs) And I, Miss Brown... If you have no objection, we'll play something on the harmonium. <laughs> oh,
10: you play the harmonium too.
0: Is there anything you don't do, Mr. Wilson?
5: <laughs> well, I, uh, uh, you have your choice: a uh, sweet Alice Ben Bolt or uh, a flow gently, a sweet Afton.
0: They're both so beautiful. I wish you would decide for me, Mr. Wilson.
5: Well, uh, shall we say a uh, sweet Alice and uh, perhaps uh, Sweet Afton, as an encore. Are you ready, Miss Brown?
0: Oh
5: yes. Mother has taken a great liking to you.
0: How do you know? She didn't say anything.
5: That's the point. Mother doesn't waste words on flattery. If she speaks, it's to correct faults.
0: Oh. Well, I like your mother, too. Once or twice, I thought she was going to smile at me. Looney! <laughs> oh, it's Mr. Belensky. Hello, Mr. Belensky. This is Mr. Wilson, the chemist.
5: How, How do you do?
0: Mr. Belensky's staying at Friar's Carmel. Oh.
5: You're a friend or relative of Mrs. Miley or Mr. Syrit, I suppose, Mr. Belinsky?
0: Oh, no. He's a guest of Sir Henry and Lady Carmel.
5: A, a guest? I understand Mr. Wilson's
8: surprise. A guest is not usually aware of the existence of a maid. That's what troubled you, Mr. Wilson, it, wasn't it? it? Oh, exactly, sir. Well, you see, we at Friars Carmel don't regard Miss Brown merely as a maid. We are very proud of our cluny and... Uh, Interested in her welfare, and above
5: all, in her friends. Oh, naturally. I understand, sir. Uh, well, um, it's seven o'clock, Miss Brown.
0: Yes. Oh, how time flies.
5: Yes, it does, but we must learn to fly with it.
0: Oh, I know. I- I'll look along now. Goodbye, Mr. Wilson.
5: Goodbye, Miss Brown.
0: Thanks for a wonderful afternoon. And, and for sweet Alice Ben-Bolt.
5: Oh, don't mention it. Yes, a very worthy young lady. Yes. I'd like a word with you, Mr. Wilson. I'm entirely at your disposal, sir. Uh, You are a chemist, I believe? Uh, Yes, sir. Certified? Oh, yes, sir. My uh, diploma is at your disposal. Mm. I may have a look at it sometime. Thank you, sir. I was first in my class, if I may say so. How many were there in your class? Twenty-three,
10: sir.
5: Not mm, a small class.
8: Uh, Mr. Wilson, I presume that you have weighed your intentions toward
5: Miss Brown as carefully as you weigh the contents of a pill? Oh, I assure you, sir, I am not the sort of man who would invite a young lady for tea merely to a while away an afternoon. I'm glad to hear it, Wilson. I have no use for light-minded men. Nor I, sir. Why would it be presumptuous to ask you to say a word in my behalf to Mrs. Maylie? What? Have you intentions toward Mrs. Maylie too?
8: Oh, heaven for things. <laughs> well, I must admit I was worried about Clooney, but you have relieved my fears. Mr. Wilson, you could not have prescribed a better sedative than yourself. Oh, thank you, sir. Not at all. Good night, Mr. Wilson. Good night, sir. Oh, Mr. Wilson. Oh, yes, yes, sir. You don't drink, do you? Oh, no, sir. Good. That we couldn't stand.
10: <laughs>
8: it took me a big whiskey and soda to get over Mr. Wilson. And I sent a note to Clooney, telling her to bring a hot water bottle or something to my room that I had to talk to her. I began composing my speech. This old man was fantastic. How could she stand the man? I started to speak to an empty chair. Now, sit down, Clooney. Now, look here. I know we have a pact. Now, let, let me tell you something about pacts. Pacts are made for two reasons. One, to be kept. Two, to be broken. Now, now, I don't say let's break our pact. But on the other hand, I'm not suggesting that we keep it. It...
0: Mr. Belinsky, I came as soon as I could.
8: Sit down, sit down, Clooney.
0: How do you like Mr. Wilson? Do you still think my ship has arrived?
8: Now, look here, Clooney. Out there is an ocean. And on the ocean is a boat, braving the storm and battling the billows. (laughs) That's not Mr. Wilson. But in a quiet harbor, there is a freighter. Its engine is turned off. No smoke comes out of its funnel. <laughs> its anchor rests deep on the bottom. Its moor to the pier with a hundred ropes. Nothing could ever budge it. Neither wind nor wave. Well, that's Mr. Wilson
0: Oh, I'm so glad you liked him. Uh... <laughs> you know, Mr. Belensky... When I sat in his parlor, and everything cozy and peaceful, so homey, and Mr. Wilson playing the harmonium, I got all choked up. And then his mother started to snore.
8: Just, oh, you're like that?
10: Well, not
0: just the snoring, but because she was his mother. You see, I'm an orphan, and I've never heard my mother snore.
8: Well, you're happy now? That's all that matters. Oh,
0: Mr. Belinsky, it's so selfish of me to talk only about myself... But I'm sure your ship will come in someday, too.
8: Don't worry about me, Granny. If it doesn't come, I'm a good swimmer. Good night, Granny. I
0: worked very hard from then on. I didn't drop any trays, and I was most respectful to Mrs. Mayley and Mr. Surrett. And every Wednesday, Mr. Wilson would stop by just at the stroke of three. I, I hoped I was making a good impression on him, although sometimes I felt that I wasn't quite being myself. One Wednesday, Mr. Wilson told me he was giving his mother a birthday party at night, and he invited me. I didn't know how I was to get the evening off, so I went to Mr. Belinsky for help. He didn't even ask any question. He just went to work. Well, the evening is yours, Clooney. Oh, you are a friend, Mr. Bolensky. You see, it's not only Mrs. Wilson's birthday, but, uh, well, things have sort of been happening. Why, Clooney? Yes, they have. Mr. Wilson has spoken to his mother about me. Well,
8: I'm sure she approved of you.
0: Well, anyhow, she didn't say no. Oh,
8: that's very encouraging.
0: And then Mr. Wilson asked his aunt and Mr. Latham, his solicitor, and everybody he possibly could ask. Did he they... ask you? Oh, no. That's just it. <laughs> But he might tonight. Or he might not. That's the suspense.
8: Yes, and so romantic, Judy.
0: Mr. Bolensky, I... What? No, no, I can't tell well,
8: you. Well, you're not keeping secrets from me, are you?
0: Oh, it isn't a secret, but I shouldn't tell you anyway. But I'm going to. I had a dream last night, but but you won't tell Mr. Wilson.
8: Why, did he forbid you to dream?
0: Forbid? Well, how could he? <laughs> oh, no. Mr. Wilson's so sensible, and I I don't think he'd object to dreams as long as they were sensible, but I dreamed about you. Uh, Clooney, you did? Hmm. You don't know how wonderful you look in affairs. And how you rode that black Arabian standard. (laughs) We, you just burned up the sand. And you swooped me off the desert and set me right in front of you in the saddle. My, did we sit that horse well.
8: Tell me, Clooney. Tell me, did... Did I did I take you to my tent? Well
0: <laughs> you were taking me somewhere. But I remembered our pack just in time, and I kicked myself.
8: Oh, and took the kick right out of the dream.
0: <laughs> Mr. Belensky, do you wish I had gone to your tent?
10: Hmm?
8: No. No, Clooney. You did the right thing. I have no tent. Not in the desert or anywhere. run alone now. Good luck.
0: Same to you. And thanks for getting me off for the
10: birthday party.
5: Romans so aptly put it, the a tempora a mutanta. That is to say, a time's a change. Uh, sixty five years ago, Mother wasn't even here. And today, she has been here sixty five years. <laughs> tempora certainly do mutanta. Thank you. But uh, before we examine those sixty five uh, well spent years, Uh, Let me thank you all who came here to celebrate this uh, joyous occasion. You, Mr. Snaffle, Mrs. Snaffle, Miss Snaffle, Master Snaffle, oh, Master Snaffle is out of the room uh, temporarily, (laughs) Uh, Mr. Tuppam, Mrs. Tuppam, and uh, Latham Esquire. Perhaps you notice that I am guilty of um, an omission, but when you hear later what I have to say, or better, to announce concerning a young lady not too far away, then I'm sure that you'll agree that sometimes an homition is an hand I, uh... I... Oh, I
10: didn't
6: do it. It's the plumbing. I just turned on the faucet. We'll bar quiet. It's the plumbing, Maman. Don't say that. But it was.
1: It was.
5: Oh, sit down and be quiet. Uh, let us go on, shall we? Well. Uh,
1: yes, Miss Clooney. Come
5: here. As I was saying, a 65 years of faithful service to the community.
7: But, oh, all I did was turn the faucet and run.
0: It's probably the joint.
5: Sixty-five years of unblemished reputation.
0: I can fix it.
5: I beg your pardon.
0: Some of you might not know it, but I'm a plumber's niece. Just give me a hammer and a wrench and I'll show you. I'll get it, Miss Clooney.
5: Oh, please, Miss Clooney. I wish you oh, wouldn't.
0: Th- there's nothing to it. It won't take more than five minutes. And then nothing will interrupt your announcement. Now, oh, well, I, I might not be the best cook uh, in, in England of, of tripe and onion, but whoever gets me doesn't have to worry about it plumbing. Hold these tools for me, Wilbur, while I roll up my sleeves and roll down my stockings. I wasn't dressed for plumbing tonight. There. There you are, Miss Clooney. If it's the joint, a couple of bangs might do it. If not, we'll try something else.
10: She's done it. Oh, I've seen it. It's running.
0: That's my birthday gift to your mother, Mr. Wilson. (laughs) Mrs. Wilson, I hope that... Why, where is she?
5: My mother asked to be excused.
0: Oh, what's the matter? Is she ill?
10: Uh, my,
7: Mr. Wilson, it is getting late. Yes, isn't it? We'd better be going.
5: I hope it wasn't too much for your mother, my boy. I hope not.
7: Good night, Mr. Wilson. It was a lovely party. Good night. Uh, good night, Mr. Wilson.
5: Good night. Good night, my
3: boy. Thanks for a charming evening. <coughs> good night.
7: Thanks for letting me watch, Clooney. Oh, oh, oh
13: you, you were a great help. Wilbur? All right, I'm coming. Well,
5: good night, Mr. Wilson. Good night. i never
10: seen
0: one so Did I do something wrong?
5: I wish I had never seen what I saw.
0: But I only wanted to help.
5: I would rather not discuss anything until you have made yourself presentable.
0: Oh, oh I am sorry, Mr. Wilson. I'll, I'll roll down my sleeves. <laughs>
8: Good morning, Mrs. Mayley.
1: Good morning, Mr. Surratt.
8: I did not see Brown as I passed through the kitchen. Your tea, Mr. Surratt. Oh, thank you.
1: I'm afraid Brown is indisposed this morning, Mr. Surratt.
8: I should not have permitted her to have had last night off.
1: It was entirely my fault, Mr. Surratt.
8: Not at all, Mrs. Mayley. It was a direct request of Sir Henry through the intervention of his foreign guest. Good morning. Oh, Oh, good good morning, morning, sir. Uh, Please, please, don't get up. Go on with your breakfast. Uh, uh, Sir Henry's at breakfast on the terrace, sir. Oh, I've had mine. I've been in the village doing some shopping. I must go back to London today, and I wanted to say goodbye to you both. Oh, that's very kind of you, sir. You know, I will miss you, Sirette. and so will my one suit. Oh, this is for you. Uh, Thank you, sir. Uh, Shall I uh, pack your things, sir? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, that would be very kind. At once. And this is for you, Mrs. Mayley. Thank you.
1: Thank you, sir. Where is Clooney? I'm afraid the birthday party was a bit too much for her. Oh, I see. Don't you think she's a fortunate girl, sir? It's not often a person in her place attracts a man like Mr. Wilson.
8: Yes, indeed. A man like Mr. Wilson.
1: Shall I call her? I'm sure it's all right. No, no,
8: no, Please, please don't. It's uh, it's better this way. Uh, Will will you be good enough to give her this for me? And, And should she ever feel unhappy, uh, tell her just to close her eyes and say, squirrels to the nuts. you remember this, Mrs. Mayley, won't you? Mm-hmm.
1: Very good, sir. Goodbye,
8: Mrs. Mayley. Uh,
1: goodbye, sir.
8: I will be on the terrace with Sir Henry. Uh, very
1: good, sir.
8: Oh,
7: good morning, Bolinsky. You're up bright and early.
1: <laughs>
8: yes, and sadly... Uh... I found out that I must go back to London. Oh, well, look here. Uh, that's ridiculous. Now, you are the kindest people in the world. I, I can't tell you what it has meant to me to be here. Well, what's the matter with you, anywhere?
10: Oh, good morning. Oh,
8: good morning, Lady Carmel. Oh, good morning, dear. What do you think of this fellow? He's leaving.
1: Leaving? Oh, that makes me very sad, Mr. Belinsky. You're very sorry to see you go.
8: So am I, believe me, Lady Carmel. Oh, you're coming back, you know. Oh, I hope so. Oh, that's absurd. You've got to. Oh,
1: no, Henry. We must leave that
10: to the professor. Well, hang
8: it all! I can only tell you both that you've made me very happy. I'm very grateful. Your bag, sir. Oh, thank you. And I have taken the liberty of ordering a car to take you into the village. It is at the door, sir. Thank you, sir. Lady Carmel, let me say goodbye to you here.
1: Goodbye, Mr. Belinsky.
8: Now, look Here. Uh, going to write to each other, Adam. Oh, certainly. Uh, what's your address, Adam? Uh, or oh, uh, just uh, just uh, Belinsky, uh, London. Mm. Oh, oh, you you might add uh, general delivery. They they know me there. Well, goodbye. <laughs> Thank. You.
7: Good chap, there.
1: A fine man. So appreciative of everything. Oh how he loved that nightingale under his window. <laughs>
3: mm. Belinsky. London.
1: General delivery.
10: Mr. Belinsky! Mr.
0: Belinsky! Oh, where's Mr. Belinsky? He's just left, Clooney. Oh, I didn't have a chance to say goodbye to him. And look what he gave me. Block stock and silk stock and sofita silk, too, and so the tops. Oh, Mr. Bilinski. Mr. Belinsky!
10: Mr. Belinsky! Mr. <laughs> Belinsky!
0: Mr. Bolensky! Clooney! Clooney Brown, here I am. Oh, Mr. Bolensky, I, I want to thank you. They're beautiful. Why, why didn't you say goodbye to me? You know, we might never see each other again.
8: Yes, I, I know, Clooney.
0: Oh, it's, it's it's kind of awful to think of.
8: Yes. it's yes, awful, Clooney, but... How is Mr. Wilson?
0: Oh, he's better. Was he sick? No, he was upset about his mother. Mr. Bolensky, I disgraced myself last night.
8: What did you do, Clooney?
0: Well... You know what plumbing does to me? I just can't keep my hands off it. And last night I didn't either. Oh, I I don't blame Mr. Wilson. He said with his standing in this community, he can't afford to have a wife who's subject to impulses either to pipes or to himself. And that was when he banged on the table. He's going to ask his mother to give me another chance. That's very kind, now isn't it? I'm certainly going to watch myself. One can't be foolish and have a place in life, can one? Come on, get in. Oh, where, Mr. Belinsky?
8: The train. Get in.
0: Get in? Oh, get in. Well, all right. I, I have no tickets.
8: That's all right. We can pay at the other end.
0: I haven't any money. I have. Oh, where are we going, Mr. Belinsky?
8: General delivery.
0: Are you expecting a level?
8: Always. That's what's so wonderful about general delivery. Let us pour into it, millions of them. Greetings from all over the world.
0: Oh, I've passed it many times, and I've never thought of that. You do make one see
8: things. (laughs) And among all those millions of letters, there might be one letter for... For us, Clooney. Might be very disappointing, but it might be good news. Might be from America.
0: Mr. Belinsky, you sound as if you like me.
8: Ah, Clooney. Clooney, if I were rich... I would build you the most beautiful mansion with the most exquisite and complicated plumbing. (laughs) And right in the middle of the most elegant housewarming party, I would hand you a hammer and say, Ladies and gentlemen, Madame Cluny Belinsky is about to put the pipes in their place.
10: (laughs) Madame
0: Belinsky. Well, that's as good as Mrs. Belinsky, isn't it?
8: Take off that apron. All right. Now, take off that silly cat. Here it is. Now, watch, Clooney. Out the window with them, you see? That means just one thing. You will never again have to serve three meals a day. On the other hand, you might not have three meals a day. (laughs) Sometimes, maybe only one.
0: And sometimes, maybe only none. I don't care. As long as we eat together.
8: Mr. Oh, just for that, we're going to have three meals with hors d'oeuvre and champagne and snacks between. You know what you've done to me? I was going to write a book, The Economic Causes of World War III. Well, with luck, I might have made just enough money for myself. But now, I'm going to write a bestseller, a murder mystery.
0: A murder mystery? What's it going to be about?
8: A murder the <laughs> man gets murdered.
0: Who killed him? Who did it?
8: For three hundred and sixty-five pages, I won't know myself. But when on page three hundred and sixty-six it finally comes out, will I be surprised? And so will millions of others. Clooney, this book will make enough money for both of us.
0: Oh, but Mr. Valensky, what if there should be three of us?
8: Then I'll write a sequel. But why limit ourselves? I'll write a serial.
0: Oh, Mr. Valensky, I don't think I'll have much time for plumbing. <laughs>
12: New York, where the American stage begins, NBC presents Best Plays with John Chapman. Best Plays, a series of hour length dramas based on the famous theatrical books begun by the late Burns Mantle, now edited by the distinguished drama critic of the New York Daily News, John Chapman. Mr. Chapman.
9: Our play this evening, Blythe Spirit, is by Noel Coward, and it should be called a ghost play because there are one or two ghosts in it. However, most ghost plays are serious, and this one isn't. Take Hamlet, for instance, or Macbeth. Very serious. The ghosts in such works are always upsetting people. Of course, in book fiction, there with Thorn Smith's Topper and his playmates, who were funny and friendly... In play fiction, we have Noel Coward's enchanting spook, whom he calls Blythe Spirit. This lady is not going to drive anybody in the play you're about to hear to suicide or murder, or is she? At any rate, she's going to stir things up a bit, because Noel Coward is the gayest light comedy writer of our time, and there can't be any light comedy unless things do get stirred up. We ought to have a good performance of Blythe Spirit now, for our actors know their business, and they know the play. They include John Loder, who will have most of the ghost trouble, Mildred Natwick, and the role she created on Broadway, and the funniest role this excellent actress ever had. Hala Stoddard, the prettiest ghost I ever saw, who played Blythe Spirit for a long time on Broadway. And Anne Burr, who was on this program recently as the nurse in The Hasty Heart. Now it's time for Noel Coward and our actors to take over. Time, the present, the scene is England, the living room, and a house in Kent. Charles Condamine and his wife, Ruth, are awaiting the arrival of a strange and unusual guest.
11: No sign of it yet? Not yet. Well, I think I'll start mixing the drinks.
13: I'm sure Madame Arcati will want something sweeter than a martini. Anyway, there's no ice. No ice? Edith is bringing it. Edith? The new maid.
11: Oh, yes. Uh, Tell me, doesn't she strike you as being a little peculiar? In
13: what way, Charles? Well, the way she
11: zooms about the house as if pursued by the Furies.
13: Oh, that. I expect it's her training. She was in the Navy, you know.
11: As she is not in the Navy now, you might tell her it's unnecessary for her to do everything on the double.
13: I've told her. So don't complain if everything is a little slow-motion tonight.
11: Oh, I shall welcome it. And another thing you might tell her... Oh,
13: later, dear, later. Here she is now. Here's the arseman. Where shall I put it? On the table, Edith. That's right.
11: Uh, Edith, I left my cigarette case on my dressing table. Will you get it for me?
13: Lots. sir. On the double. <laughs>
11: Slow motion, did you say?
13: You took her by surprise.
11: I hope the Bradmans get here before Madame Arcadi does. It's essential that we all pretend to believe in her hocus-pocus.
13: Yes, if she suspected you were only collecting material for a mystery story, her prices might go up. I
11: don't think she's that sort. Well, here's your drink.
13: Let's drink to your new novel.
11: To the unseen. Mmm. Most awfully strong, darling. Yeah, I meant it to be. It's not every day we entertain a medium.
13: And whoever she may bring with her, from the spirit world, or whatever they call it. Charles, mm? was Elvira a help to you when you were thinking out a new book on him? Ooh,
11: every now and then, uh, when she concentrated, but she didn't concentrate too often.
13: I do wish I'd known her.
11: I wonder if you'd have liked her.
13: Oh, I'm sure I should. Yes, I'm sure I should, because... You know, I've never felt the least bit jealous of her. And that's unusual for the second wife not to feel jealous of the first.
11: Poor Elvira. She died so young.
13: Does it still hurt when you think of her? Mm,
11: No, not really. Sometimes I almost wish it did. I I feel rather guilty.
13: But you haven't forgotten her.
11: No, I haven't forgotten Elvira. I remember her very distinctly indeed. I remember how fascinating she was and how maddening. I remember how badly she played all games and how cross she got when she didn't win. I remember her, her gay charm when she achieved her own way and her extreme acidity when she didn't. I remember her, her physical attractiveness, which was tremendous, and her
12: spiritual integrity, which was nil. You can't remember something
11: that was nil. Well, I re- remember how, how morally untidy she was.
13: Was she more physically attractive than I am?
11: That was a very tiresome question, dear, and fully deserves the wrong answer.
13: You really are very
11: sweet. I love you, my love.
13: Poor Elvira. If I died, I wonder if you'd say in that offhand manner, poor Ruth.
11: Oh, you won't die. You're not the dying sort.
13: Neither was Elvira.
11: Oh, yes, she was. Now that I look back on it, she had a certain ethereal, out-of-this-world quality. Now, nobody could call you even remotely ethereal. Oh,
13: nonsense. She was of the earth, earthy.
11: Well, she is now, anyway. Charles. Now, get this straight, my darling. I was devoted to Elvira. We were married for five years. She died. I missed her very much. That was seven years ago. I have now, with your help, my love, risen above the whole thing.
13: Admirable. But if tragedy should darken our lives, I still say with prophetic foreboding, poor Ruth... Oh, uh, that's
11: probably the Bradmans.
13: Might be, Madam Arcati. Oh, no,
11: she'll come on her bicycle. She always goes everywhere on her bicycle.
13: Rob right here, sir. Oh, get it, sir. It's the front door, isn't it? It is. Yes, mum. Not so fast. Remember? Sorry, ma'am. Ah, good evening. Good evening, Dr. Bradman. Evening, ma'am. Yeah. Go right in. Thank you.
6: Oh, we're not late, are we? My husband was detained at the hospital. Occupational
11: hazard of the medical profession. In Quite all right, Doctor. M- Madame Arcati isn't here yet.
0: That must have been her we passed coming down the hill, peddling furiously on a bicycle. <laughs> then she won't be
13: long. I'm so glad you were able to come. We've been looking forward to it. I- I'm quite excited. She certainly is a very
11: strange woman. I'd never have guessed that she'd been a professional medium in London for years.
13: Oh you believe in it, Mrs. Condemine? I'm afraid not, but I do think it's interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, what exactly
11: are you hoping to get from her, Charles? Mm. Jargon principally, uh, you know, a few tricks of the trade. I haven't been to a séance in years. I want to refresh my memory uh, for the new novel I'm writing.
13: Do you think she tells fortunes? I'd love having my
1: fortune told. <laughs> I expect so.
13: I was told once on the pier at Southsea that I was surrounded by lilies and a golden seven. Worried me for
11: days. (laughs) Oh, here she is. Are you going to meet her, darling?
13: I really feel quite nervous. Uh, I'm. Maginaka. Good evening. I'm afraid I'm rather late. But I. I had a sudden presentiment I was going to have a puncture. So I went back to fetch my bicycle pump. How nice of you to come all this way.
11: My dear Madame Arcati. Then,
14: of course, I didn't have a puncture at all. Mm, perhaps you will on the way home. Uh, oh, you know Dr. Bradman?
13: Oh, the man with the gentle hands. I'm
14: delighted to see you looking so well, Madame Arcati. This is my wife.
13: Oh, we're old friends. <laughs> we meet coming out of shops. <sighs> it was wonderful cycling through the woods this evening. I was deafened with bird song. It's been lovely all day. Mm, but the evening's the time, mark my words. The evening's the time. Don't you find it very tiring, bicycling everywhere? Oh, on the contrary, it stimulates me. Steady rhythm, that's what counts. Once you get the knack of it, you need never look back. On you get and away you go. But the hills, Madame McCarthy, are pushing up those awful hills just knack again. Down with your head, up with your heart. And you're over the top like a flash and skimming down the other side like a dragonfly. How are you coming with your new book, Mr. Connemise? Oh,
11: quite well, thank you. I
13: wish I could say the same. Oh, you write too, Mary Margaret. Not novels, just memoirs and children's books.
11: Uh, What is it this time?
13: A children's book. It's mostly about very small animals. The hero is a moth beetle. (laughs) I had to give up my memoir of Princess Pagliatini because she died last April I talked to her about it the other day, and she implored me to go on with it, but I really hadn't a heart. Uh, uh, you uh, talked to her about it the other day? Yes, through my control, of course. It sounded very irritable. Well, it, it, it's funny to think of people in this spirit world being irritable.
11: Oh, I don't know, Mrs. Bradman. We have no reliable guarantee that the afterlife will be any less exasperating than this one.
13: Pardon ma'am. Yes, Edith? Dinner's hurt. Thank you, Edith. Shall we go in? Oh, no red meat, I hope. There's meat, Madame Marcari. I don't know how red it is. Would you rather have an egg or something? No, thank you. It's just that I make it a rule never to eat red meat before a séance. Have sometimes has an odd effect. Oh, what
11: sort of effect?
13: Well, there have been cases where. Oh, but I'm sure nothing like that will happen tonight. Anyway, we'll risk it. <laughs>
10: Ah, oh, yes. oh, delicious. delicious! You know,
13: Mrs. Karnamai, delicious. I do hope the meat was not too red for you. But quite oh, worth the oh, risk, nice. I should say. Uh, just what
11: is this risk, Madame Marconi? Mm,
13: I'd rather not frighten you needlessly. Only once did it very nearly happen to me. My control was quite scared. I could hear it in her voice. But after all, she's only a child. Do you always have a child as a control? Oh yes. Some mediums prefer Indians, of course, but. Personally, I find children more satisfactory. Daphne's been with me for years.
0: And she still goes on being a child? I mean, doesn't she show any
13: signs of growing any older? Time values on the other side are utterly different from ours. When did you first discover that you had these extraordinary powers, Madame Arcati? When I was quite tiny. My mother was a medium before me, you know. So I had every opportunity of starting on the ground floor, as you might say. I had my first trance when I was four years old, and my first protoplasmic manifestation when I was five and a half. What an exciting day that was, I shall never forget it. Of course, the manifestation itself was quite small and a very short duration, but for a child of my tender years, it was most gratifying. Your
1: mother must have been so pleased.
13: She was.
11: Well, Madame Arcati, shall we get started?
13: Don't be so abrupt, Charles we just finished dinner, Madame Marcotti. may not be in the mood. Nonsense, my dear, I'm always ready. Hi ho, hi ho, it's off to work we go. Oh, well, uh, which room well, would well, be well, best for the séance? The library is quite cozy. Let's see it through here. <laughs> Amazing. What, Madame Marcotti? This room, fairly bristling with psychic vibrations. Well, is that bad? To the contrary. If you don't mind, mind, I'll just open this window for a moment. Ah, you deep. He rest the
10: fresh air. Well, you may talk if you wish. It will not disturb
11: me. You, oh, oh. nice. Charles, you're so strange. An excellent oh, dinner, nice. darling. I congratulate you.
10: Mm, no, the mousse
11: wasn't quite right. No, I, I it really looked like a it. bit uh, hysterical, but it tasted delicious. I beg your
13: pardon? I said that cuckoo is very angry. Listen. You hear it? Uh,
11: yes. Now, how can you tell it's angry? Oh,
13: boy, it's the can. This is well, I think... Mist rising from the marshes. There's no need for me to light my bicycle lanterns, or I mean, no one's likely to fall over it. No, we're not expecting anybody else. Good night, you foolish bird. Ah, now to work. If you will all be seated around this table. Mr. Oh, yes, yes. Fans yes, flat, table. please. Any fingers <laughs> should be touching. That's right. Tommy Tucker sings for his supper. What shall he have but brown bread and butter?
11: I beg your pardon?
13: I despise that because it doesn't rhyme at all. But Daphne loves it. Uh, Who is Daphne? Daphne is Madame McCarty's control, George. She's a little girl. Weren't you listening at all?
11: Oh, I say yes, yes, of course. Uh, How old is she, Madame McCarty?
13: Rising seven when she died. And uh, when was that? February the 6th, 1884. Oh, the poor little thing. She must be
14: a bit long in the tooth by now, I just think. Quiet, George.
13: You put Madame McCarthy off.
14: Oh, what about the light, Madame Arcati? All
13: in good time. First, the music. Music? I presume that is a gramophone. Uh,
11: yes, would you like me to slide it?
13: Please stay where you are. I can manage. Ah, here's the record already out. Brahms, oh, let me know. Rachmaninoff, too florids. What Daphne really likes deserving Berlin. As soon as she can Here's one. Always. Always? Charles, what is the matter?
11: Nothing, nothing at all.
13: No, then. There are one or two things that I should like to explain. Presently, when the music begins, I'm going to switch out the lights. I may then either walk about the room for a little or lie down flat. In due course, I shall draw up this dear little stool and join you at the table. I shall place myself between you and your wife, Mr. Condamine, and rest my hands lightly upon yours. Now, I must ask you not to move or speak or address me or do anything in the least me. Is that quite, quite clear? Perfectly. Of course, I cannot guarantee that anything will happen. Daphne had a cold recently and was rather under the weather, poor child. <laughs> On the other hand, a great <laughs> many things may happen. One of you might have an emanation, for instance. Emanation? Or we might contact a poltergeist, which would be extremely destructive and noisy. In what way destructive, Madame Arcade? They throw things, you know. Oh, no, I didn't. Know. But we must cross that bridge when we come to it, mustn't.
11: Oh, we? certainly, by all means.
13: Fortunately, an elemental at this time of the year is most unlikely. What do elementals do? Oh, my dear, one can never tell. They're dreadfully unpredictable. Usually they take the form of a very cold wind. Oh, I don't think I shall like that. Occasionally reaching almost hurricane velocity. You don't think it would be a good idea to take the more breakable ornaments off the mantelpiece before we start? (laughs) Don't worry, Mrs. Condemn. I have my own methods of dealing with elementals. I'm so glad. Now then. Empty your minds. Concentrate on a space or a nondescript color. Now the music. Right. What's that? Is there anyone there? One rap for yes, two raps for no. Now then, is there anyone there? Oh, shh. that you, Daphne? Is your cold better, dear? Oh, I'm so sorry. Are you doing anything for it? I'm afraid she's rather fretful. Is there anyone there who wishes to speak to anyone here? Ah, Now we're getting somewhere. Oh, Daphne, dear, please don't do that. Stop it, please, stop, Daphne. <laughs> Be good. There's a the dear child. You say there is someone there who wishes to speak to someone here. Is it Mrs. Condomine? Stop it. Behave yourself. Is it Mr. Condomine? There's someone who wishes to speak to you, Mr. Condomine. Well,
11: tell him to leave a message.
13: I really must ask you not to be flippant, Mr. Condamine. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you. do you know anyone who has passed over recently?
11: Not recently, except. oh, my cousin in the Civil Service, and he wouldn't be like...
13: Are to... you Mr. Condamine's cousin in the Civil Service? I'm afraid we've drawn a blank. Rack your brains, Mr. Condamine. It might be old Mrs. Plummet, Charles. She died on Whit Monday.
11: I can't imagine why old Mrs. Plummet would want to talk to me.
13: It's worth trying, anyhow. Are you old, Mrs. Plummet? She was very deaf. Perhaps well, you'd better shout. Are you old, Mrs. Plummet? No one there at all. Oh, how disappointing. Well, there's nothing for it but for me to go into a trance. Excuse me a moment while I start the... Music. Again.
11: Not always. Now, please don't play always. Why
13: ever not, Charles? Don't be absurd. I must play the same record. It was the most imprudent to change horses in midstream, if you know what I mean. It's all right, but I do wish you would.
14: It's that's Daphne, she ought to have a bad noise out. George,
13: please. <laughs> what was that? She seems to have fallen on the floor.
14: In a trance, I've no doubt.
13: The, 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 the table, it, it's lifting up. It, it's trying to get away. Dress oh, down hard.
6: It said dress down, George. Not knock the table over. I wasn't touching it. Want me to pick it up or leave it where it is? Well, how the devil should I know? do no to snap at me. Leave it where it
10: is.
13: Who said that? Who said what?
14: Somebody said leave it where it is.
13: Oh, nonsense, Charles.
14: I
11: heard it distinctly.
13: Well, nobody else did, did they? I never heard a sound.
11: Uh, it was you, Ruth. You're playing tricks.
13: I'm not doing anything of the sort. I haven't uttered a word. Good evening,
10: Charles.
11: Oh, ventriloquism, that's what it is. Ventriloquism. What
13: is the matter with you, Charles? You
11: must have heard that. One of you must have heard that.
13: Heard what?
11: You mean to sit there solemnly and tell me that you... That none of you heard anything at all? Well,
13: I certainly didn't. Neither did I. Well, it's you who are playing the tricks, Charles. You're acting to try and frighten us.
11: I'm not. I swear I'm not. Difficult
13: to think of what to say after
6: seven years, Charles. Well, I suppose good evening is as good
11: as anything
6: else. Who are you? Elvira, of course. Nothing so silly.
11: Oh, I can't bear this for another minute. Get up, everybody. The what? entertainment's over. Oh, what?
13: Charles, how <laughs> tiresome of you. Just when we were beginning to enjoy ourselves. Oh,
11: never again. That's all I can say. Never, never again, as long as I live.
13: What on earth is the matter with you? Uh,
11: nothing. I'm just... I, I, I'm sick of the whole business, that's all. Did you really hear anything we didn't hear, mind Oh, no, of course not. I was i was only pretending.
0: Oh, dear. Mm, Mary party doesn't
13: look as if she were pretending. Dr. Bradman, perhaps you'd better have a look at her.
14: Yeah... She's out, all right. Well, bring her
11: around. Bring her around as soon as possible, Doctor. I think we'd better leave her alone.
13: We can't just leave her sprawled out on the floor like that. No,
11: of course not. Now, wake up, Madame Arcati. Wake up. It's time to go home. Here, here. Go easy. Old now, man. Get, get some brandy. Give her some brandy. Um, here, help me lift her into the chair.
13: Charles, you're acting like a madman. There,
11: now. Wake up, Madame Arcati.
7: Little Tommy Tucker, Madame Arcati.
13: Here's the brandy. Good. Oh, Charles, you're spilling it all down a dress. <coughs> oh, she's coming, too. <sighs> Are you all right, Madame Arcati? <sighs> Certainly I am. Never felt better in my life. Well, what happened? What is satisfactory. Well, nothing much happened after you ended your trance. Oh, something happened all right. I can feel it. No poltergeist at any rate. That's a good thing. Any apparitions? Not a thing. No ectoplasm? I'm not sure what that is,
14: but I don't think so.
13: Very curious. I feel as if something tremendous had taken place. Well, Charles pretended he heard a voice in order to frighten... Oh, her. it was
11: only a joke.
13: very poor joke, if I may say so. Nevertheless, I'm prepared to swear there's someone else psychic in this room, apart from myself. I don't see how there can be, really, Madame Arcotis. I do hope I haven't gone and released something. However, oh, I... we're bound to find out within a day or two. You
11: mean it'll it'll come back? I mean... If something is released as you seem to fear?
13: If any manifestation should occur, or you hear any unexpected noises, you'd better let me know at once. This one may not be dangerous, but I very much fear it is dangerous and deadly. So? Hmm? Oh, hello, Ruth. What's the matter with you? Matter? Yes, you seem odd somehow. Do you feel quite well? Oh, perfectly.
11: Uh, I think I'll have a drink. Do you want one?
13: No, thank you, dear.
11: Oh, it seems rather chilly in this room.
13: Come over by the fire.
11: I don't think I'll make any notes on that seance tonight. I, I think I'll start fresh in the morning.
6: Steady, Steady Charles. <coughs> you give yourself away. Good Lord. That was very plumb, Charles,
11: dear. Elvira. Then it's true... It was you. Of course it was. Charles?
13: Charles, darling, what are you talking about?
6: Are you a ghost? I suppose I must be. It's all very confusing.
13: Charles, why do you keep looking over there and mumbling? Look at me. What's happened?
6: Ruth, don't you see? See
13: what?
11: Elvira.
13: Elvira? Oh,
11: yeah, I forgot. You you never met. Elvira, dear, Uh, this is Ruth. Uh, uh, Ruth Elvira.
13: Down,
11: darling. Do you mean to say you can't see her? Now,
13: listen, Charles. You just sit down quietly by the fire and I'll mix you another drink.
11: But you must be able to see her. She, she's there. Look, look, mm. right in front of you. Are
13: you mad? What's happened to you?
11: You honestly can't see her?
13: Now, this joke has gone quite far enough, Charles. Sit down. Stop looking so idiotic.
6: Well, what am I to do? What in the name of heaven am I to do? Well, I think you might at least be a little more pleased to see me. After all, you conjured me up.
11: I didn't do any such thing.
6: Nonsense. Here's your drink, darling. That awful child with the head cold came and told me you wanted to see me.
13: Urgently. Oh, it was all a mistake, a horrible mistake. Now stop talking like that, Charles. I told you the joke has gone far enough. I've
11: gone mad. That's what it is. I've just gone raving
13: mad. Relax. Charles.
11: Oh, how can I relax? I shall never be able to relax again as long as I live.
13: Well, sit down anyway. You most certainly can't relax standing up. African natives can.
6: They can stand on one leg for hours.
11: I don't happen to be an African native.
6: You don't happen to be what? An African native. What's that got to do with it?
11: Oh, it doesn't matter, Ruth. Really, it it doesn't matter.
13: Would you like some more brandy?
11: Yes, I think I would.
13: I'll fix it for you. Very unwise,
6: Charles. You always had a weak head for Brandon.
11: Oh, I could drink you under the table.
13: There's no need to be aggressive, Charles. I'm doing my best to help you. I'm sorry. Then I'll drink this, darling. Then we'll go to bed. Get rid
6: of her, Charles. Then you and I can talk.
11: Now, that's a thoroughly immoral suggestion.
13: What is there immoral in
11: that? I wasn't talking to you.
6: Who
13: are you talking to then?
11: Elvira, of course. Oh,
13: blast Elvira. There, she's getting
11: cross. I don't blame what her. What
13: don't you blame her for?
11: Oh, not her. You... Oh, no, never mind.
13: Oh, <laughs> I know what it is. You're working out something for your book. How one of your characters would react if her husband suddenly lost his reason and you're using me as a guinea pig. That's it, isn't it?
11: Ruth, Elvira is in this room... She's standing a few yards away from you at this very moment.
13: Yes, dear, I see her, under the piano with the zebra. Oh, but, Ruth, I... I'm not going to stand here arguing any longer. Who? Ray? Ray, shut up. How dare you speak to me like that? No,
11: I wasn't speaking to you. I was, I was speaking to Elvira.
13: I will not listen to any more of this nonsense. I'm going up to bed now, but I shan't be asleep. I'm too upset. You can come in and say goodnight to me if you feel like it. That's big of her, I must say. That's all I have to say. Good night,
6: Charles. Oh, Ruth. Let her go, Charles. Let her go. Well, I did a good job there, didn't
11: I? Oh, now, Elvira, how could you?
6: Poor Ruth. I'm
11: obviously having hallucinations.
6: All I know is that you sent for me. And here I am.
11: But I didn't sin for you. It's all a mistake, I tell you. (laughs) Oh, Charles. Ah, what is it?
6: I want to cry, but... I don't think I'm able to.
11: Oh, why do you want to cry?
6: With seeing you again, you're being so irascible like you always used to be. Mm,
11: Poor Elvira. Uh, Is it cold being a ghost?
6: No, I don't think so.
11: Uh, What happens uh, if I touch you?
6: I doubt if you can. Do you want
11: to? Oh, Elvira.
6: What is it, darling?
11: Oh, I really do feel... Strange seeing you again.
6: I loved you very much, Charles.
11: I loved you too. Oh, Elvira. No, I can't touch you.
6: Perhaps it's just as well if I'm going to stay for any length of time.
11: I suppose I shall wake up eventually, but I feel
6: strangely peaceful now. That's nice. Put your head back.
11: Mm, What are you doing?
6: Stroking your hair, darling. Can you feel anything?
9: Only a very little breeze.
6: It's better than nothing.
7: Oh, I suppose if I'm really out
11: of my mind, they'll put me in a, an asylum. Oh,
6: don't worry about that. Just oh, poor Ruth. Forget about Ruth. It's going to be just you and me from now on. Just you and me, darling.
12: In a moment, act two of Noel Coward's Blithe Spirit on Best Plays. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. We return to the Best Plays production of Blithe Spirit by Noel Coward... Starring John Loder, Mildred Natwick, Hala Stoddard, and Anne Burr. And here again is John Chapman.
9: In the Condamine household in Kent, domestic relations are strained. At a séance conducted on the premises, a medium inadvertently materialized the ghost of Charles Condamine's first wife, Elvira. Charles' second wife, Ruth, has finally summoned the medium, one Madame Arcati, to see what can be done about sending Elvira back to the spirit world.
13: Now, Mrs. Condamine, you say she first materialized during the seance when I went into my trunk. Not to me, to my husband. First, I thought he was joking, but now I know she's here, and he sees her. Capital, capital. Oh, <laughs> but that's splendid. From your own professional point of view, perhaps. Oh, triumph, my dear. Nothing more nor less than a triumph. For you, perhaps. For me, it's embarrassing to say the least. A last, the last, the genuine materialization. Forgive me, Mrs. Condamine, I'm being abominably selfish. How can I help you? How? Well, by sending her back immediately to where she came from, of course. Oh, I'm afraid that's easier said than done. You mean to tell me that she's liable to stay here indefinitely? it's difficult to say. I fear it depends largely upon her. But, my dear Madame Arcade... Where is she now? My husband has driven her into Folkestone. Apparently, she was anxious to see an old friend of hers who's staying there. One of us? Or a friend from the other side? My husband didn't say. I don't hear her or see her. But there is ample evidence that she really is present, that he doesn't just imagine her. More than ample, Madame Arcade. She's constantly spoiling my flower arrangements, moving the furniture about, and she's forever playing the gramophone the same record over and over and over, always. Ah, oh, the been burning tune. We played it at the séance. I remember. What a coincidence! It should have been her favorite as well as Daphne's. Daphne, my control. Oh yes. Well, now perhaps she'd have an idea for getting Elvira back to wherever it is. Oh dear, no. She's only a little girl and not very bright into the bargain. <laughs> the first Mrs. Condamine over Seven years ago. Ah, that means she must have been on the waiting list. Waiting list? Yes. She must have marked herself down for a return visit, but she'd never been able to manage it unless there was a strong influence at work. I am not particularly interested in the question of how she got here. I'm solely concerned with the question of how to get her away again as soon as possible. Oh, at the moment, I fear I cannot offer any great hopes, Mrs. Conline. Do you mean to sit there and tell me that having mischievously conjured up this ghost or spirit or whatever she is and placed me in a hideous position, you're unable to do anything about it at all? Kindly remember that I came here on your own invitation, on my husband's invitation. I did what I was requested to do, which was to give a seance and establish contact with the other side. I... I had no idea there was any ulterior motive mixed up in it. Ulterior motive? Well, your husband was obviously eager yes. to get in touch with his former wife. He had no intention of trying to get in touch with anyone. What? The whole thing was to get material for a mystery story he's writing about a homicidal medium. Um, am I to understand that I was invited here in a spirit of mockery? Not at all. He merely wanted to make notes on some of the tricks of the trade. Tricks of the trade? I've never been so insulted in my life. But Madame Arclarky. We have nothing more to say to one another. Goodbye. Oh, please, don't go, please. If you I... and your husband were foolish enough to tamper with the unseen for paltry motives, whatever has happened to you is your own fault, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm afraid, you can stew in your own juice. Oh, Madame O'Clarke, come back, Madame! Oh. <sighs> Ruth. <sighs> yes, Charles.
14: There's Madame McCarty in the
12: hallway.
11: What was she doing here? I asked her to come. Well, you didn't tell me you were going to.
13: You didn't tell me you were going to ask Elvira to live with us. I didn't.
10: <laughs>
11: uh, Ruth, what was the old girl so cross about?
13: I told her the truth about why we invited her here the other night and she stormed out.
11: Oh, now, that was unnecessary and most unkind.
13: She needed taking down a bit.
11: Why did you ask her here? Oh,
6: that's
13: obvious, Charles. To get me exercise.
11: Is that true, Ruth?
13: Is... What
11: true? What Elvira just said.
13: You know perfectly well I can't hear what Elvira says.
11: She said you got Madame Arcadi here to try and get her exorcised. Is that true?
6: We discussed the possibility. There's a snake in the grass for you.
11: You had no right to do such a thing without consulting me.
13: I have every right. The situation is absolutely impossible and you know it. Oh,
11: now, if you would only make an effort and try and be a little more friendly to Elvira, we might all have quite a jolly time.
13: I have no wish to have a jolly time with
6: Elvira. She's certainly very bad-tempered, isn't she, Charles? I can't think why you married her. Well, she's
11: naturally a little upset, Elvira. We must make allowances.
6: I was never bad-tempered, though, was I, darling? Even when you were beastly to
11: me? I was never beastly to you. Charles! Uh, yes, Ruth?
13: Where
6: is
11: Elvira now? In the chair by the table.
13: Now look here, Elvira. I shall have to call you Elvira, shan't I? I can't very well call you Mrs. Condamine. It would sound too silly. I don't think so. Did she say anything, Charles?
11: She said she would like nothing better than to be called Mrs. Condamine.
13: (laughs) You really are sweet, Charles darling. I worship you. (laughs) I wish to be absolutely honest with you, Elvira. Hold on to your hat, boy. But before we go any further, I want to ask you a frank question. Why did you come here? I came because the power of Charles' love tugged and tugged at me. Didn't it, my (laughs)
10: sweet?
11: What did she say then? Uh, uh, She said she came because she wanted to see me again.
13: Well, she's done that now, hasn't she?
11: Now, we can't be inhospitable, Ruth. Why,
13: I I didn't mean to be. But I should like to have just an idea of how long you intend to stay, Elvira. Well, I don't know. I really don't know.
6: (laughs) Isn't it awful?
11: She says she doesn't know.
6: Well, didn't that bogus old medium have any constructive ideas about getting rid of me
11: now what did Madame Arcati say, Ruth?
6: She said she couldn't
13: do a thing., <gasps>
11: no, now, now, don't be so upset, Ruth. here. We shall soon adjust ourselves.
13: Oh, Charles, how can you? You must be out of your
11: mind. Yeah, I thought I was at first. now I must say i'm uh, I'm beginning to enjoy myself.
13: Oh Charles uh-huh. Charles.
11: Off again. Oh, you really must be—you <laughs> must not be so callous, Elvira. And see her point a little.
13: What did she say, Charles? I suppose it was something insulting.
11: No, dear, it was nothing of the sort.
13: Now look here, Elvira. Uh,
11: not there, Ruth. She's over by the window now.
13: Why the blazes can't she stay in the same place? Yes, again, oh my poor Charles! What a terrible life we must be. Oh, do
11: shut up, darling. You'll only make everything worse.
13: Was that, darling, addressed to her or to me? Both of you. This is intolerable.
11: Oh, for heaven's sake, don't get into another tizzy.
13: I am past all that. I'm going up to my room now, and I shall have my dinner on a tray. You and she can have the house to yourselves and joke and gossip with each other to your heart's content. Oh, Ruth, please
11: don't be like that. the first
13: thing in the morning, I am going up to London to interview the Society for Psychical Research on ways and means of getting rid of her. And if they fail me, I shall go straight to the Archbishop of Canterbury.
14: Now then, Mr. Condomine, let's let's have a look at that arm of yours.
11: Oh, I'm sure it's only a slight sprain, Dr. Bradman. Mm-hmm.
14: Mm-hmm. Now, how did it happen? Well, the light was
11: out on the stair landing and I well, I just stumbled and fell.
14: Well, you're right, it is only a sprain. I think I'll put it in a sling. Oh, but
11: I can't. I've got to drive. It. I mean, I, I I have to drive into Folkestone tonight.
14: Well, all right, if you promise to go very slowly and carefully. Your your gear shift is on the right, isn't it? Yes. Well, use that left hand as little as possible.
13: How is she, it, doctor? It's not serious. I oh, hope. Oh
14: no, just a sprain. It's curious your husband and your housemaid falling downstairs on the same evening, isn't it? Very curious. Well, uh, goodbye, Mrs. Condomine, And careful driving, Condomine. The roads are slippery today. Charles. Yes?
13: Is uh, Elvira in
11: here now? Uh, No, she went out for a walk.
13: I must talk to you about it, Charles. It's important. I implore you to listen carefully to what I have to say. Oh,
11: you're not going to start making scenes again, are you?
13: No, but I warn you, Charles. My patience is being stretched to the utmost.
11: As far as I can see, the position is as difficult for Elvira as for you. the, The poor little thing comes trustingly back from the dead and what's she faced with nothing but brawling and hostility what did she expect oh now, surely even a ghost has the right to expect a little of the milk of human kindness milk of human fiddlesticks now, that just doesn't make sense dear
13: elvira is about as trusting as a puff adder and a good deal more dangerous into the bargain dangerous
11: i never heard anything so ridiculous
13: this is a fight charles a bloody battle A duel to the death between Elvira and me. Do you realize that? No, I don't. Charles, listen to me. She came here for one purpose and for one purpose alone. It's to get you to herself forever. Oh,
11: that's absurd. How could she?
13: By killing you off, of course. Killing me? You're mad. Why do you suppose Edith fell on the stairs last night the same way you did?
11: Well, what's Edith got to do with it?
13: Because the whole of the top stair was covered with axle grease. Cook found it afterwards.
11: You're making this up. I'm not.
13: I swear I'm not. Why do you suppose when you were cutting that dead branch out of the pear tree, the ladder broke? Because it had been practically sawn through on both sides. But why should
11: she want to kill me? I, I can understand I wanted to kill you, but why me?
13: If you were dead, it would be her final triumph over me. She'd have you with her forever on her damned astral plane, and I'd be left high and dry. She's probably planning some sort of spiritual remarriage. I wouldn't put anything past her. Ruth. You do see now, don't you?
11: She couldn't be so sly, so wicked. She couldn't.
13: Couldn't she just?
11: I grant you, as a character, she was always rather light and irresponsible, but... Oh, I, I'd never have believed they're capable of low cunning.
13: Perhaps the spirit world has deteriorated her. Oh, Ruth. For heaven's sake, Charles, this is serious. Oh, what are we to do? I'm going to take the car now and drive over to Madame Arcati's. I don't care how cross she is, she's got to help us. And whatever you do, don't let Elvira know that we suspect a thing. <laughs>
11: Uh, what for?
6: To drive to the then,
11: of course. Oh, there's no hurry, is there? The, the movie doesn't start for another hour.
6: I don't believe you want to take me. Oh, well,
11: but of course I want to take you, Elvira. But I, I still think it would be more sensible to go tomorrow. It's a filthy night; we might have an accident on the road. <laughs> well, does that strike you as funny? <laughs>
6: no, dear. Only familiar. All through our married life, I only had to suggest something for you to start hedging.
11: I'm not hedging. I merely said right, that.
6: All right. We'll spend another cozy, intimate evening at home with Ruth sewing away at that hideous centerpiece and snapping at us like a terrier.
11: Ruth is perfectly aware that the centerpiece is hideous. It happens to be a birthday present for her mother.
6: Now, it's no use defending Ruth's taste to me. Look at this room. She's ruined. Look at those curtains and that awful shawl on the piano. And this
13: hideous bar.
11: If you don't behave yourself, I shan't take you to Folkestone ever. Oh,
6: please, Charles, please. Let's go. I
11: can't oh, for one thing, the car won't be back for half an hour at least.
6: What do you mean?
11: Ruth's taken it. She had to drive to the village.
6: What?
11: Well, what on earth's the matter?
6: Ruth? Ruth has taken the car? Ah, she won't be long. Oh, stop her. Go out and stop her immediately.
11: It's too late now. She's been gone ten minutes at least. Oh, no. No,
6: no, no, no. Oh,
11: what are you going on like this for? What have you done?
6: Done? I well, haven't done anything.
11: What are you in such a state for? I
6: know. I don't know what you mean.
11: You've done something dreadful.
6: Don't look at me like that, Charles. I haven't done anything. I swear I haven't. The
11: car. You've tampered with the car. Oh, no, Charles, no. Oh, Ruth was right. You did want to kill me. What did you do, Elvira? Nothing. Answer
6: me. I didn't do anything, Charles. I swear I...
10: Elvira.
11: <coughs> Hello? Yes, speaking. I see bridge at the bottom of the hill. <gasps> Thank you, no, 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 I'll, I'll come at once. Madame Arcati,
6: sir.
11: Oh, Madame Arcati, what a, what a very welcome surprise.
13: To come, Mr. Condamine? Yes? I, I felt a tremendous urge, like a rushing wind, so I hopped on my bike and here I am.
11: It was very kind of you. Oh,
13: no, 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 it was my duty. Duty. I reproach myself bitterly, you know. Oh,
11: now, please don't. There's no necessity for that.
13: I allowed myself to get into a huff with your late wife only a few days before she passed over in that regrettable motor accident. I... I peddled all the way home in the grip of temper, Mr. Condemine. i I've regretted it ever since. Oh,
11: now, my dear Madame Arcati... Please
13: let me go on. I threw up the sponge... In a moment of crisis, I threw up the sponge instead of throwing down the gauntlet. Uh,
11: It seems that circumstances have been a little too strong for all of us, Madame Arcati. Well,
13: I've been thinking very carefully, Mr. Condamine. I've also been reading up a good deal during the last few dreadful days. I I gather that we are alone.
11: My first wife is not in the room. The the funeral exhausted her, you know. I imagine my second wife is with her on the, the other side. Of course, I I can't say for certain. Thank heaven I can't see her, too. Of
13: course course not. Um, Mr. Connemine, have you remarked no difference in the texture of your first wife since the accident?
5: No, she
11: seems much as usual. Perhaps a a trifle low-spirited, but that's all.
13: Uh, That washes that out. What? In the 19th century, it... It was believed that a ghost who had participated in the death of a human being disintegrated automatically.
11: How do you know that Elvira was in any way responsible for Ruth's death?
13: It came to me last night, Mr. Cundermine. It came to me in a blinding flash. I had just finished my Ovaltine and turned out the light when I suddenly started up in bed with a loud cry. Great Scott, I said, I've got it. And here it is, The formula. I recalled it from Edmondson's Witchcraft and its oh, Byways. No, no, now, no, no.
11: look here, man of well, You're still
13: anxious to dematerialize your first wife, I suppose. Shh! Of course I am. I'm perfectly furious
14: with her, but. But what?
11: Well, she's been very upset for the last few days. You see, apart from me being angry with her, which she always hated even when she was alive, Ruth, my second wife, has hardly left her side for a moment. You see that she's. Well, she's having a, a pretty bad time. Oh,
13: don't worry, Mr. Condomine. With this formula, I think I will be able to get rid of her without hurting her feelings in the least. I may even... Hold on,
11: Madame Arcadi, hold on. Elvira's just come into the room.
13: Oh, I thought you were
6: alone. What's she doing here? Why,
11: uh, Madame Arcadi came to offer her condolences on poor Ruth's death.
6: They should have been. Congratulations.
11: Oh, now, please, don't say things like that, Elvira. It's in the worst possible taste. Uh, Madame Arcadi, allow me to introduce my first wife, Elvira.
13: Do. What does she want, oh, Charles? Send her away. In what part of the room is she at the moment, Miss Condamine?
11: Oh, she's moving about rather rapidly. I'll, I'll tell you when, when and where she settles.
13: Interesting. Very interesting. I smell ectoplasm strongly. What a disgusting thing to where say. Where is she now?
11: Here, close to me.
13: Are you happy, my dear? Tell that silly old fate to mind her own business. Was the journey from the other side difficult? Are you weary? She's darkly hooked. Oh. I almost have contact. I can sense the vibrations. Oh, this is magnificent,
6: oh, Charles! <laughs> do get rid of her for a moment, will you? I simply must talk to you alone. It's important. You made
13: contact. I f- feel she wants me to leave the room. Oh, oh, she's not bad, is she? Am I correct, Mister Canderline? Uh, yes,
11: if you don't mind, just for a few minutes. Uh, Elvira wants to talk to me alone.
13: Oh, very well, but don't let her get away. Fat chance.
11: What's that,
6: Charles? Do you really think she could get me back again?
11: You mean you you want to go? Yes.
6: The whole thing's been a failure. A miserable, dreary failure. And oh, what high hopes I started out with. Well, you
11: can't expect much sympathy from me, Elvira. I'm perfectly aware that your highest hope was to murder me.
6: don't put it like that. Sounds so beastly. It is beastly. Well, there was a time when you welcomed the chance of being with me forever and ever. I had no
11: idea you could be so unscrupulous. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no no! Stop crying.
6: They're only ghost tears. They don't mean anything, really, but they're very painful.
11: Well, you brought all this on yourself, you know. You needn't have died at all if you hadn't been idiotic enough to go out on the river with Guy Henderson and get soaked to the skin and catch pneumonia.
6: What has Guy Henderson got to do with
11: it? You him? behaved abominably with Guy Henderson, and you know it.
6: Guy adored me. Anyhow, he was very attractive. You told me to think he. he didn't attract you in the least. Well, you would have gone through the roof if I told you that he did. I suppose you let him kiss you, didn't you? How could I stop him? He was bigger than I was. And you swore to me... Of course I did. You were always making scenes about nothing at all.
11: Nothing at all. You
6: seem to forget that you had spent the entire evening making sheep's eyes at that overblown harridan with the false pearls.
11: A woman in Cynthia Cheviot's position would hardly wear false pearls.
6: They were practically all she was wearing.
11: I am pained to observe that seven years in the echoing vaults of eternity have in no way impaired your native vulgarity. (laughs) I don't see what there is to laugh about. Oh,
6: Charles, you never suspected it, but I laughed at you steadily from the altar to the grave. All your ridiculous petty jealousies and your fussings and
11: You were reckless and irresponsible and morally unstable. Oh, I realized that before we left Budley Salterton.
6: Nobody but a monumental bore would have thought of having a honeymoon at Budley Salton. Oh, what's the matter with Budley Salterton? Oh, I was an eager young bride, Charles. I wanted glamour, music, romance. All I got was potted palms and seven hours a day on a damp golf course.
11: Uh, it's a pity you didn't tell me so at the time. Well,
6: I did, but you wouldn't listen. That's why I went out on the moors that day with Captain Bracegirdle. I was desperate.
11: What, you swore to me that you'd gone over to see your aunt in Exmouth? It was the moor. Oh, what a fool I was. What a blind fool. Did he make love to you? Of course. Oh, Elvira.
6: Only very discreetly. He was in the cavalry, you know.
11: Well... Well, all I can say is I'm well rid of you.
6: But you're not rid of
11: me. Oh, yes, I am. You're dead and Ruth did. I shall sell this house, lock, stuck and barrel and go away. I
6: shall have to follow you. That's one of the rules, you know. You called me back, so you're stuck with me. I
11: you? did not call you
6: back? Well, somebody did, and it's hardly likely to have been Ruth.
11: Well, nothing could have been further from my thoughts.
6: Why, you were talking about me before dinner that evening. Oh,
11: I might just as well have been talking about about Joan of Arc, but that wouldn't necessarily mean I wanted her to come and live with me.
6: She's rather fun, as a matter of fact.
11: Oh, stick to the point.
6: <laughs> when I think of what might have happened if I'd succeeded in killing you, it makes me shudder. Nothing but bickering and squabbling forever and ever and ever. I swear I'll be better off with Ruth. At least she'll find her own set of friends and not get in my way.
11: When I'm sick and tired of all these insults. Please go away. There's
6: nothing I should
13: like better.
11: Very well, then. It's settled. Uh,
6: Madame Arcade, will you come in here,
13: please? <laughs> Darling, Elvira, still here. Yes,
11: and we are both agreed that she must go as soon as possible.
13: Oh, well, I can't guarantee anything, of course, but I'll do my best. What's the formula? Well, I have the basic ingredients here in my bag, along with my trumpet and crystal ball. Here we are, salt and pepper. We ought, of course, to have some shepherd's wart and a frog or two, but I think I can manage without.
6: This, this is going, going to be a flop. I can tell
13: you that here and now. Now a few snapdragons out of that vase. There's a good chap. Mm -hmm. Here you are. Now then, the gramophone. In the old days, of course, they used a zipper or reed pipes. We'd we'd better have the same record we had before, I think. I'll get it. Where is she now, Mr. Condamine? She's gone to put the
10: record on the machine.
13: Oh, don't start it yet, dear. Now then, sit down, please, Mr. Condamine, and rest your hands on the table. But don't put your fingers in the pepper. And if your wife will be good enough to lie down on the sofa, well, go on, Elvira. All right, but it's a waste of time. She's a complete fake. Now the music and away we go. Hold on to yourself. Concentrate. (laughs) Ghostly spectre, ghoul or fiend, nevermore be thou convened. Shepherds' wart and holy rite, banish thee into the night. What a disagreeable
10: little bird. Well,
13: so much for
6: that. She's gone into one of her idiotic trances, and I'm as much here as ever I was.
13: Charles! Ruth! Do my eyes deceive
11: me? Oh, no, not
13: that! Charles, what is the meaning of this?
11: I wish I knew, Ruth. I wish I knew. You sent for me, didn't you? On the contrary, I was trying to send Elvira away, or rather, Madame Arcati was.
13: Well, wake her up at once. It may be all right for Elvira to go gallivanting about in plain you after she's dead, but I think it's in very poor taste, and I don't intend to be tricked into staying here with you and her any longer than I can help it.
10: Ah, oh, it's no
13: use, Charles. We've stood up, we've lain down, we've concentrated. We have subjected ourselves to the most humiliating hocus-pocus for hours and hours. We've endured five seances. Watch that tiresome old woman fling herself in and out of trances till we're dizzy and still no results. Well,
11: it's not my fault.
13: If she can't get us back, we'll have to think of something else.
11: Uh, Elvira, you've been dead the longest. Don't you know anybody on the other side who would help us
10: out?
6: It's no good, Charles. If we got Cagliostro, Mesmer, Merlin, and Black Douglas all in a row, they couldn't do a thing. The impetus has got to come from here.
13: Perhaps, darling Charles, doesn't want us to go quite enough. Oh, I certainly do. Well, you must have a very weak will, then.
11: I've
1: always suspected it.
13: Well, there's no use arguing anymore. Wake up, Madame Arcati. Oh, not another seance, please. Not another seance.
11: Madame Arcati, wake
13: up. Please, wake up her.
11: It might upset her.
13: I don't care if it kills her.
11: Please, wake up, Madame Arcadi. Mm. Uh, she's coming around.
13: <laughs> what time is it?
11: Mm, uh, ten past five. Are
13: they still here? Yes. Not
11: oh, disappointing.
13: Yes. Mr. Condermine, kind of I think we may be barking up the wrong tree.
11: That's obvious.
13: I mean, we've been going on the assumption that You summoned your wives from the other side.
11: Oh, I've insisted time and time again that I did nothing of the sort. That's gallantry for you.
13: Well, if Charles didn't call it back, who did? I look in my crystal ball. Oh, the thing, it's cloudy again. Oh, nothing there but yard and yard of gauze bandage. Bandage? Does that mean anything to you, Mr. Condamine? Nothing. Dr. Bradman put a bandage on Edith's head after she fell down the stairs.
11: Fell or was pushed?
6: Don't
13: be so suspicious, Charles.
6: She fell quite of her own accord. She was coming down the stairs, took one look at me, screamed and
13: fell headlong.
11: She saw you? Are you sure?
13: Who saw whom? What's she saying, Mr. Condemine? Elvira
11: says Edith saw her.
13: Your maid, Mr. Condamine. Yes, shall I ring mean for her? Oh, no, she might get the wind up. I'll summon her. Uh,
11: the bell pool's right over there, Madame Won't be
13: necessary. Be you in nook or cranny, answer me. Be you in still room or closet, answer me. Be you behind the panel, above the stair, beneath the eaves, waking or sleeping, answer me. That ought to do it, or I'm a Dutchman. Do what? Hush, wait. Uh,
11: would you like the lights out, or, or music, or no, anything? No,
13: no. It's near. It's very near. Did
10: No,
11: Edith, I didn't.
13: The bandage, the same bandage I saw in my crystal. Come on, darling, Look at it. I heard the bell, or somebody calling. I of a at that rotten in her witches. What? Come here, child. Oh,
6: well, must I
13: say? Go on. Go to Madame Arcadie. It's
11: quite all right.
13: Whom do you see in this room, child? Oh, dear. Answer, please. You, madam. Go on. The master. Anyone else? Oh, now, madam. Look again. Well, I don't understand. Come, huh. I... child. Don't beat about the bush. Do concentrate, Elvira. Stop wriggling about. Oh, shut up. <gasps> you turn, then. Did you hear something? Oh, would... Now, ma'am. she's lying. They always do. They? Where are they now, Edith? Far the car <gasps> She can see them. Probably not very clearly, but enough. Now, let me go. Oh, I've done nothing. Let me go back to bed. Sit down, child. Oh, please, sir. Oh, do as Madame Arcati says, Edith. Look at me, Edith. Yes, madam. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Oh, dear, what's the matter with this? She bore me. Here, Edith. Look at my finger. Look, now it's on the right, now it's on the left, backwards and forwards, tick-tock, tick-tock, tock Well, so far, so good. She's off, all right?
11: Off? Uh, in a trance, you mean?
13: Yes, she's a natural. Now then, would you ask your wives to stand close together, Mr. Condamine? Where? Right next to you. I resent being ordered about like this. It would set him right if we flatly refuse to do anything at all. Are you sorry for having been so mischievous, Edith? Oh, yes, madam. You know what you have to do now, don't you, Edith? Oh, yes, madam. I'll be loving you always. We the love That's too. enough, dear. Continue when I give you the signal. I believe it's going to work, whatever it is. Oh, Charles. Shh, be quiet, Ruth. But this is goodbye, Charles. Charles, tell me to stop coming there's something I want
6: to say before I go.
11: You should have thought of that before, Elvira. It's too late now. i
6: all the mean and gracious. Charles, listen a moment. Lights,
13: continue, child. I'll be loving you.
10: Oh, listen, Charles. You. I saw Captain
6: Bracegirdle you. again oh, several times when you were in Nottingham, him. and I must say I couldn't I'll have enjoyed it. Don't
13: I'll think be you're be getting rid of us you. quite so easily, Charles. Oh, You may not be able to see or hear us, but we should be here, all right. I consider that you've behaved atrociously over the whole miserable business, and I should like to say, here and now... We've done it! We've done it! That's quite enough singing for the moment, Edith.
11: Shall I put on the lights? I'll get them. They've gone. They've really gone. Yes.
13: I think we've really pulled it off this time. Now,
11: oughtn't we to wake Edith out of her trance before she brings him back again? No
13: danger. Let her sleep it off. Oh. oh, what a night. I am ready to drop in my tracks.
11: Uh, would you like to stay here? There we, uh, there's a spare room. Uh,
13: no, thank you. Each to his own nest. I'll pedal home in a jiffy. It's only seven miles.
11: I'm deeply grateful to you, Madame Arcati. Oh, good
13: heavens, Mr. Condamine, this was a pleasure. When you come back, don't fail to ring me up.
11: When I come back...
13: Take my advice, Mr condamine and go away immediately. But Madame Arcadi, you don't mean it must me- be an unhappy house for you. There must be memories both grave and gay in every corner of it also.
11: Also what?
13: There are more things in heaven and earth, Mr. Condamine. Just go. Pack your traps and go as soon as possible.
11: Do you mean they may still be here?
13: Yes, as the Spanish say. Hmm, I
11: wonder. Uh, I'll follow your advice, Madame Arcadi. And uh, thank you again.
13: Good night. No, don't trouble to see me out. I know the way. Cheerio once more. And good hunting.
11: Ruth? Elvira? Are you here? I know darn well you are. I just want to tell you I'm going away. I don't think you'll be able to follow me. In spite of what Elvira said, I don't think spirits can travel over water. Oh, just one final word to you, Elvira. You were very silly to think I didn't know about you and Captain Bracegirdle. But what you didn't know, that I was extremely attached to Paula Westlake at the time. I thought you were listening. And a word to you, Ruth, and then I'm finished. I was reasonably faithful to you, my dear, but I doubt if it would have lasted much longer. You were becoming increasingly domineering, you know. So goodbye to both of you. Parting is such sweet sorrow. (coughs)
12: have just heard the Best Plays production of Blind Spirit by Noel Coward, starring John Loder, Mildred Natwick, Kayla Stoddard, and Ann Bird.
2: Well, wasn't that a gorgeous way to spend your time? Two radio comedies. That was Clooney Brown from the Screen Director's Playout and Blythe Spirit from the Best Plays series. Thank you so much for joining me for this bumper edition this time. Remember, if you'd like to see Clooney Brown or The Wife of Monte Cristo, they're both available now in my classic movie library. All you have to do is make sure you're signed up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret. And once you're signed up, you'll also get a weekly pass to my film club screenings on Sunday nights. You'll also be the first to hear Carrie Parts 3 when that hits very soon. You'll also get instant access to over 100 bonus editions of this show that have never been public podcast you'll gain access to the memoirs in minutes series where i tell the stories of the supporting players you know and love the queens of cinema series all about the founding mothers of cinema the blueprints series a bite-sized version of the secret history of hollywood the small tales series a monthly anthology of macabre short fiction you'll get all 12 secret history of hollywood series you'll get your own private podcasts exclusive to you movie commentaries ebooks much more just go on over to patreon.com slash attaboysecrets or follow the link in the show notes of this episode that is all from me for this outing thank you so much for coming along for the ride until we speak again very soon it only remains for me to wish you the best hope you're keeping happy and keeping your spirits up and that you take very good care of yourself and those you love and bye for now If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now. To become a patron thank you welcome to the future in this year's
14: wildest
12: super fun show for adults
9: hey gang it's josh olson And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies.
14: Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies.
9: Sure, but ours is different, Joe.
14: That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors.
9: Hell, we even have other podcasters on.
14: We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call out the movies that made me.
9: We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Friedkin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lahane, Mark Deplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alexander Anders, Elijah Wood, Steven Canals, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat, Goldthwait, Eliana Douglas, Dana Cool, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily DeChanel, Jell-Biafra, Larry Fesson, Nicole Hall, Sunder, King, Lee Daniels, Roslyn Chow, Clancy Brown, Harvey Smith, Ike Maronalds, David Arquette, Thumbass, Widdelth, and, Prince, Widdelth, and Uwe Boll.
14: It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun.
9: Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In
3: color to thrill you as never before.